once I seal the device works properly, they'll release me. I don't much doubt it. You see, before you reactivated it, I reversed the polarity of the neutron flow. Hello and welcome to Reversing Polarity, where this week's serial made me look like a pervert on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are the anus, a new right? Podcast. My- <laughs> no, not even that bit. Um, my name is Rosie. My pronouns are they them. My name is A. My pronouns are also they them. And what cereal did we consume for this episode? A. We well, we, we were going to do a different one, then we decided that it was too long, mm. so we chose to do Spearhead from Space instead. And it was the right choice. It's a baller yes. episode. It's yes, yes. I was having yes. so much fun watching it that I forgot to make many notes. Same. It's it's problematic in that way. But yeah, um, I mentioned to my mum, who podcast listeners may know is a Pertwee, big a big Pertwee fan, and I said, oh, we're supposed to be watching Ambassadors of Death. Do you want to watch it with me? And she was like, well, you know, maybe. Um, it's not very good, is it? <laughs> <laughs> and it's seven fucking parts long. And it's seven fucking parts long. And then I said, oh, we're switching to Spearhead from Space. And she was like, ooh. So I said we should watch together. And then we ended up sitting in silence in the living room for three hours because we were both stuck in waiting mode. It's so <laughs> something good. Else. But uh, yeah, so hi, mum. You were right. Hi, Rosie's mum. Space is very good. Yes, it is. Uh, I mean, speaking of, have you seen Spear from Space before? Yeah, I've seen this one before. It's yeah. fun. It's full of little bits of just good moments, good character really moments. Is. And really is. you know I live for good character moments. You really do. Um, oh. I had seen this before. The important family history is that this is the first episode of Doctor Who my mum remembers watching. Yeah. Um, uh. So because of I the iconic. She remembered about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I also she remembered about it. And she was like, "Well, I remember that it was in color." And I was like, "That's probably <laughs> the significant moment that twigged your tiny child's brain to become aware of existence of Doctor um, Who." Yeah, she was seven when this episode was on. Oh wow! So, yeah. well, she's a little bit younger than my mum. Then. Well, there you go. My mum. <laughs> your tiny... mom, my mum could beat up your mum though. <laughs> your mum probably could. My mum is um, tiny. <laughs> she's lovely i adore my mum i doubt she's listening to the podcast but yes, if she is hi mum yeah <laughs> um this is a mum positive space for our mums specifically only um, our mums i mean other mums are also great but particularly ours yes i've mentioned before that i would have sworn hand on the bible that this is a six-parter i don't really know why i think when i was younger i got severe second-hand embarrassment from all the hospital stuff and as a result i thought it went on for way longer than it does <laughs> It's only like um, one episode. Yeah, it's like one episode. And yet as a We're child, I was like, you know what? Severely traumatised. I will watch fucking anything but this. Please know this. So instead, Black and White Terror of the Autons, I guess, again. Um, but yeah, so this is a third Doctor. This is the first ever third Doctor story. Very yeah. exciting. Um, it is also our and boy, first what an introduction. introduction to... It's our first introduction to Elizabeth Shaw. Liz! Uh, very smart scientist, our beloved. Um, and it is If also... ever there was a wife-to-wife city. Yes, it is also the second appearance of Unit in Doctor Who, and it begins the earthbound section of uh, Doctor Who. Of Who's I was about to call it Herstory. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> I'm glad that we both went in the same direction there. Yeah. Yeah, so this is by Robert Holmes, who... We've done a couple of Robert Holmeses. We did The Time Warrior, and we did mm-hmm. Talons of Which Boy wasn't Chang. great. <laughs> Which uh-huh. um, we evidently analysed to death. Yes. Um, the Time Warrior, I liked. Good. This one I liked a lot more than I liked The Time Warrior. So Yeah, The Time Warrior had some pacing problems. Indeed. Uh, but yes... Do you want to get on with this? I would love to get on with this. Okay, so forbidden to continue traveling the universe by his own people, the Time Lords, and exiled to Earth in the late 20th century, the newly regenerated Doctor arrives in Oxley Woods, accompanied by a shower of mysterious meteorites. (gasps) Investigating the occurrence is UNIT, an organization which has previously been associated with the Doctor during the Cybermen's invasion. Yes. The actual synopsis on TARDIS Wiki was four paragraphs longer, but I chose just to use the first paragraph and go from there. Yeah, um... I don't think the person who wrote that knows what a synopsis is. Um, <laughs> mm. um, this, once again, we meet the hero for words, who, <laughs> like, vigilante, they're the vigilante hero for words, um, who freelances all across TARDIS Wiki, making sure that all of the summaries are extremely exhaustively detailed, which we don't need because we like doing jokes and bits, and we don't and need when we have much detail. 12 pages of summary for a four-part story... Yes. There's not much we've... time for our, our our funny little jokes. Yes, our we've jibes and our we've entertainments. Um, yes, yeah. so I love this the synopsis here. Also, like this serial doesn't really get into like it, there's a brief reference where the doctor's like, "I've lost my memory," and you're like, "Have you, doctor, or are you repressing your trauma?" Um, and it's not clear. So mm, <laughs> we shall mm. see. Off screen, the brigadier asks about Jamie and Zoe in three like blue screens, and he's like, "Okay, maybe I won't mention them again." <laughs> <laughs> oh, the first fight! Mm. All right, we've got a lot to chat about, so we jump into episode one. Mm. So I was just eating some marshmallows off of my hot chocolate. Right. Ooh, I need to. Ch- I'm, I'm trying to dye a jumper in the washing machine, Ooh. so I need to go and <laughs> check it in a few minutes. I have checked that my Bluetooth headphones can still collect my laptop from the kitchen. Okay. Okay. But I do need to go, um, it needs to go through a dye spin and then through a regular wash. And then I need to do this all before leaving the house at 9.30 so I can be in the right place for dog sitting tomorrow morning. You live such an exciting life. Yes, I do. <laughs> so, Can't deny at that. a tracking station in England, a radar technician is scanning the screen and calls for the duty officer, who's a woman. We st- yeah, like, baby. Honestly, feminism. I was so pleased. Um, they both work for UNIT, you can tell, because they have the little UNIT badge on their tie, <laughs> which I loved very much. Um, he shows her what looks like a meteor storm. So there's this, like, there's a big spinning scanner thing, and every time it goes round, it shows a little bit more of this, like, arrow-shaped formation of meteors. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're in formation. Yeah, like it's clearly in formation. <laughs> and they're like, oh, it's probably just a meteor shower. And he's like, no, it's clearly like a shape. It's a deliberate shape of meteors. Um, anyway, so <laughs> a local poacher discovers one of the meteors in the forest. So they've all landed, or, you mm-hmm. know. Very important stuff. Um, the poacher is a bizarrely more involved character than before. one would like, ever expect. Was, like, pig- was it Pigbin Josh in Cause uh, <sighs> of Axos? Yes, it was. Something like yeah, that. Pig- I thought it was going to be like that, where he was sort of there and gone. But no, th- this character is in like the whole thing. Kept um, coming. The radar technician remarks that the meteorites have landed in Oxley Woods in Epping. It's very specific about the geography of this serial in a way that a lot of unit stories, as far as I remember, are not. Really aren't. Um, 
I guess they're still sort of trying to ease out the the, the kinks in the in the premise. The TARDIS also materialises in Oxley Woods in a beautiful tiny little model shot, which I love very much. It was a um, good model shot. And then there is a not at all conspicuous jump cut, and we see the newly regenerated Doctor emerge and collapse to the ground. And just collapse, like literally falling straight on his face. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And at this stuff. point, he is still wearing two's clothes. We don't get a proper shot of him standing around in two's clothes, but he is wearing them. So that's good. Because previously, uh, the first Doctor regenerating into the second changed his clothes. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the only other time that's happened is. Quite recently. Very, very recently. <laughs> but you know. Oh, Doctor Who, never change. Indeed. It's but a also joke because the Doctor time, changes please. quite a lot. <laughs> At unit headquarters, Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart interviews Doctor Elizabeth Shaw. Is it stated that she's a doctor in this? Did I miss that? I don't know, actually. I don't think because it is, actually. Because everyone refers to her as Miss Shaw, and I don't think it's a professional discourtesy thing. I think she might just not canonically have doctorates yet. Yet. Um, she says she has been approached by the security services before and is not interested. The brigadier says that unit personnel are not exactly spies. This is such an insanely good scene. It's like introducing it's the new premise a of the show. Good premise. The brigadier is being like sexually intimidating, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> also, it's such a good character. It's a character reminder of the brig, and it's a character introduction really for Liz is, yeah. that really just puts it. It's a, it's it's a good way of saying hello. This is our analytical woman. You're going to be in love with her. Yes, she is the Scully before Scully existed. Oh, uh, the proto Scully. The proto Scully, and I adore her much as I adore Scully, despite having seen like four episodes of the X Files. I watched season one a long time ago, back when I was still very unquestionably downloading things onto my iPod Classic and watching them at three a.m. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh. <laughs> Did you know that one of the season one episodes is a, an homage to the thing? Anyway, right. <laughs> I had to get it out there. I had Do to get it now. Out. Um, what's uh, the title? Okay, less than 10 minutes. We've got a thing. Less reference. than 10 minutes. Captain Monroe, who is sort of the Benton of the serial, like he feels like he's going to be a much more important character than he ends up being in the mm. rest of Unit, by which I mean, I don't think he's ever in it again. Um, <laughs> Possibly an actor availability thing. Yeah, maybe. He's nice, though. I like him. Telephones the brigadier from Ashbridge Cottage Hospital, informing him that nothing has been found of the meteorites. But one of his patrols found a man collapsed in the woods next to a police box. And on the phone, the brigadier is like, a police box? I need an armed guard on that police box. That's my husband. It's my boy. (laughs) He's back. And Liz is, like, completely nonplussed by this conversation. He's already said that they they do aliens, motherfucker. And it's like, what are we doing here? (laughs) Um, she is I love how like completely sceptical she is it's wonderful <laughs> it's also delightful to see in this era of Doctor Who specifically I don't know why mm. it's, but it's, if, it you're, feels re- like if it's... you're relaunching the show effectively mm. it's a really fun yeah. way to do that yeah it's good I, I just think it's good at the hospital, there's a lot of confusion as the doctor's x-ray shows two hearts and his blood isn't human. There's there's a hilarious phone conversation Dr. Henderson has with some other guy in, cardio, in cardiac or rheumatology or something. He's like, why have you sent me this animal blood? And this other guy's like, no, I was going to call x-ray to complain that they've done me, they've done a prank. <laughs> they've pranked me with this x-ray two where hearts. he has two hearts. And the other guy's like, well, he has, he has blood that's not human and Henderson is like well I just drew the blood from him so I don't know what you fucking want me to say I'm doing a phone with my hand for the record I don't know if that came across <laughs> on the audio um, now you said it I can tell yeah um, 
but yeah, so there's some there's some sort of <laughs> some some intra medico violence, I guess. Um, Doctor Henderson. There's a lot of named characters who have a lot to do in this serial, and it does feel a little overstuffed at times. But also, it means it feels very like active. Yes, um, it's not boring. Probably helped by all of the location shooting. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, yes, the very necessary location shooting. Yes. A porter overhears this and goes to the hospital telephone booth to contact the press in hope of a reward. This is one of our Welsh characters. As usual, the Welsh in this show are duplicitous for some reason. <laughs> Which is odd, con- considering Doctor Who's long destroyed history with Wales. Mm. If it's the not a place. quarry, Robert Holmes doesn't want it. Yes. Um, meanwhile in Oxley Wood, Sam Seeley has returned for the meteorite with a shovel and a burlap sack, normally used for poaching. He digs up the meteorite, uncovering an object that is not a clump of rock, but a pulsing, trilling plastic orb. Fucking good effect. I really like this. Mm. Agreement. I- <laughs> I'm trying to start the not- dialogue game. You are. You're doing very good. I am getting my head in the game. Um... I wasn't paying much attention to the orb. I think that's what I need to say here. Yeah, I just like that it's trilling. It's so fun. <laughs> and this guy looks at it, he's like, could get me a few bob, you know? I'll sell mm-hmm. it. I'll do whatever. Um, at the hospital, the doctor wakes up and leans over the side of his bed, looking for his shoes. But a nurse puts him back into bed. I l- d- shoes. 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 This is effectively shoes. the doctor's personality for episode one. Yes, he just wants shoes. his shoes. Um, and we don't see his face for quite a while, which is also, you know, fun and effective. Because mm. obviously the audience knows it's the Doctor, but we don't know what he looks like, theoretically, unless you've read Radio Times at some point in the last six months. Um, <laughs> which, let's face it, if you live in Britain, you will have. Yeah. Especially, it's it in January, they would have got the Christmas things. special. Yeah. Um, but the Brig and Liz arrive at the hospital, which is overrun with the press, who are asking about the hospital's mysterious patient and what unit is doing here. I must say, I'm a little bit... The press know who Unit is and what they do. I think the press knows who Unit is and they don't know what they do, which is why they're so intrigued oh. by their involvement. Oh, I got. I was under the impression that they did know and they were like, us, but Unit's here, by which we can infer that it's something weird. I feel like it's That's the sort how of thing I read where the Unit... Unit professionally denies any weird shit, but as a result, all of the papers assume that they do the weird shit, and they are correct, but they will never be validated in their assumptions. Ah, okay, that makes a little bit more sense, because I was like, wait a second. That's what I think is going on anyway. It's possible that this episode just, like, threw that out the window, but clearly there's supposed to be some kind of cover-up going on with the Autons and all that shit, so... Yeah. Unit covers shit up professionally. (laughs) Um... But yeah, I love this bit where the brig- like the Liz and the Brigadier, the Brigadier is like, no comment! Go away! <laughs> He's not very good at it either. He's not very good at it. This man is not He's a man not made for cameras. He's barely no. started. How dare you? Nicholas Courtney is dashing. Um... <laughs> oh, no, no. That's not what I mean. I mean, he, he no, no, panics in front of... Yes. Mm. Um, he is dashing. Yes. Um, brain. Catch up. Uh, but yeah, so the Brigadier and Liz enter the ward and introduce themselves to Dr. Henderson. Liz asks the Brigadier if he knows the patient, but owing to the Doctor's changed appearance, the Brigadier fails, fails to recognise him and asserts that he has never seen the man before in his life. Which is quite um, sad, actually. Yes, the Brigadier does not know about regeneration. Brett Vion and the Brigadier are not the same person, except in probably someone's GeoCities fanfiction. <laughs> um, so, he has only met two... 
his lovely short husband, and now he has a very tall husband. And <laughs> this is quite disarming. Mm. If you came home one day and your lovely short husband was suddenly a tall husband, what would you do? I would be very disconcerted. Um, the doctor wakes and recognises the brigadier, much to the latter's confusion. And he goes, my dear fellow, brigadier, yeah. what are you doing here? I'm like, that's that's love, really. That, it's, it's like, beautiful. you know, the, imagine that video of that guy who was on Painkillers and forgot he forgot his wife existed and was like, who is this beautiful woman that I love so much? <sighs> I have not seen that, but that sounds incredibly wholesome. I haven't seen the video itself, but I've read like 100 fanfics which take the same premise. Mm. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so this is a good scene because you're like, oh, it is the Doctor. But how are we going to like, like, what's happened? What did the Time Lords do to him? Woo. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll never know. We'll never fucking know because he claims to have amnesia. Anyway, meanwhile, Sam Seely is found lurking in Oxley Woods by Munro's subordinate, Corporal Forbes. Um, there's so many names that we don't need so many names (laughs) Seely asks Forbes about the Thunderballs meaning the meteorites and asks if there was a reward for finding one and Forbes essentially tells him to piss off which I really enjoyed Um, he's not massively effective because Seely sticks the fuck around that does remind me that this morning one of the kids asks about something and I said oh no sorry we're not doing that and he went shit just (laughs) right in my face an eight year old went shit that's like not at school not at school please that's better than i would have handled that situation i'll give it to you there yeah on monday um i said something to one of the kids and he went oh jesus christ and i was like stop you how, how old is this one not quite so bad as when I went to a Catholic school and one of the kids, they were like, oh, he's not going to be in very much. He's, you know, he's quite disruptive and he swears a lot. And then he, at one point he came in the door, everyone was shouting and he went, oh, fucking hell, and walked back out again. Okay, no, that's just, that's just icon behaviour. We have all wanted yeah, no, to do that. it's all icon behaviour. I love, I, I genuinely find it really funny when kids swear. I really do. It's bad. You just can't <laughs> laugh when you're at work. Yeah, when no, kids exactly. swear because it encourages them like I don't care when kids swear to be honest like obviously it shows like I swear constantly I'm like it's not a bad thing if they say a bad word like a slur obviously I'm going to tell them off but like I don't care if they say shit to me I really don't I think it would be I think it's quite funny it is funny and I like probably there are school rules about it but I don't give a shit <laughs> yeah <laughs> sorry I, I got I really to... distracted there I'm at the stage where I have like a fair few friends with kids and it's very hard to keep track of the ones who are okay with swearing around the kid and those who aren't. Anyway, so Forbes keeps calling Sam Seeley dad, which is quite fun. I feel like like Forbes is probably like the working class boy who's like, oh, I know this guy. He's a fucking, I, I never, I've known five of these guys on my estate. Like <laughs> mm-hmm. these days in a, in like New Who, Seeley would be that guy who's selling like burned DVDs at the market. <laughs> at the, at the car boot sale. Mm. At the pub, you can get anything on DVD. You can get anything. But yeah, I but against Robert Holmes's wishes. I'm a big fan of Seeley. I think he's great. <laughs> I'm not, um, but I think that's for... just because something put me off. I think I was swayed by the classism. Mm-hmm. I think it got I think to me. I'm being contrary against Robert Holmes's wishes. Also, I loved when he was like, "Oh, what's in the bag?" and he got out his like decoy rabbit that he had like poached. <laughs> he was like, "Well, I'll give you that me. one. That's a like, good bit." Fucking poacher, get off the land, mate. <laughs> yeah. Um, Can't you see there's a cordon? 
But yes, at the cottage hospital, fucking back to episode one, um, Dr. Henderson asks the doctor how he is feeling and the doctor says only, shoes. Dr. Henderson gives the doctor his shoes, who hugs them so behind good. their back. It's such a good do- moment. He <laughs> just so clutches good. them and holds them for dear life. He literally clutches them and then rolls over. You're like, oh, classic. Um, we have all behind been backs, that person. The doctor looks in his shoes and finds the TARDIS key, which he hey. then puts in his mouth. Um, also very good. Nom. Indeed. Two burly men appear and knock out Dr. Henderson, then put tape over the doctor's mouth before sitting him in a wheelchair and kidnapping him. <laughs> It's a dramatic, dramatic thing. It really is. It also, I feel like the tape sort of, and I don't know if this is intentional, it sort of looks like a plastic film rather than just tape because it goes right over his mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of moulds to it a little bit. Yeah. So it's a little bit like like living plastic, you know. I wonder why that might uh, it's be. It's a theme. I see what you're saying here. Yes, outside the hospital, the doctor is being pushed to an ambulance, but he escapes in his wheelchair. This is the best chase scene in Doctor Who history. Um, and again, it's setting up um, Pertwee as Action Doctor in the most ridiculous yes. way possible. Action Doctor! The ambulance drives off Nothing. at speed in pursuit with the mis- the mystery man Channing at the wheel. Munro orders the soldier to shoot out the tyres, but the ambulance escapes. The unit soldiers find the wheelchair abandoned in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Icon behaviour. <laughs> also, hearing you say it, what if Channing was played by Channing Tatum? <laughs> This is my what if of the day. It would really change the vibe, I think. Um, yeah. <laughs> imagine him trying to squeeze into that tiny phone booth at the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Who meets Magic Mike, what we've always needed. <laughs> Sorry, that really got me. That really got me. <laughs> Anyway, you're welcome. The doctor reaches Very Oxley welcome. Woods, but as he crashes through the trees, he is shot by a nervous unit soldier guarding the TARDIS who has been startled by the distant sounds of gunfire. The doctor collapses. <laughs> now, imagine this is not what happened, but here's my fan wanky thing. I think the unit soldier did shoot him in the head, but the post regenerative <gasps> um like yeah, energy, energy kept him alive. Not gone, so it healed him enough that it looks I like, like he only got grazed. Because otherwise, what's the point of the cliffhanger? <laughs> I like this a lot. Yes. So, uh, Doctor got shot in the head, but he's fine. So, it's it's all good. Yeah, I'm like... <laughs> what I wanted to say is too blue even for the podcast. Anyway, it's time for episode two, baby. <laughs> episode two. The Doctor is returned to the hospital. The bullet only grazed his scalp, but the Doctor is in a deep coma. Before the brigadier leaves the hospital, Dr. Henderson shows him the TARDIS key and says the unconscious Doctor's hand had to be pried open in order to get it. I love this that he escapes, he comes back, the brigadier's like, I guess I have to check on this guy, even though he's, you know, he's not the doctor. But maybe he is. He is. Um, And also the whole thing where Dr. Henderson is trying to be a good doctor. He's trying so hard to be a good doctor, but he's like, yeah, I literally have no fucking idea what this guy's deal is. Sorry, guys. Um, Looks like he put himself in a coma. He's obviously pissed off about it. (laughs) Looks like he put himself in a coma. Fucking why not? Why not? Nothing we can do. Nothing we can do. Nothing at all. Monroe shows the brig a broken up meteorite and says it was destroyed when it hit the ground. Monroe shows the brig a picture of Channing, the figure behind the attempted kidnapping. The only other detail Monroe can recall is that there was something odd about the kidnappers' faces. I like this as a spooky plot point. Yeah, it's it's good. It's, it's just good. Some, something odd. What it ends up being is that they look kind of greasy, but, <laughs> but. <laughs> the, the concept is very solid. Um, 
At the nearby autoplastics factory, salesman John Ransom visits the production manager George Hibbert, tailed by the mysterious Channing. As you leave, Ransom tries to investigate his workshop, but Channing again appears and Ransom has to depart. Yeah, so John Ransom, um, very sad that Hibbert uh, ghosted him from their passionate relationship they had been having, and also uh, just canned production on this fantastic electronic doll that he designed. I hate the doll factory bit. I hate it. I've been in America for six months organising contracts for this doll, and now you say you've been the whole project! It's like... I really liked the scene where they were making doll heads, as if that's not the creepiest fucking thing you've ever seen in your life. Oh, can't deal. Oh, can't deal. It's like, it's it's literally like, I, I was expecting fucking Nikola Orsonov to show up. <laughs> yeah. Be like, I... <laughs> what is it? Go on, go on. Of co- what is it? Of course I'm not real. I am plastic. Um, I can't remember the actual quote, but I'm thinking of her. Tarantula icon. <laughs> Um, at, gonna move on because I can't think about dolls any longer at Unit okay. HQ Liz is trying to identify the debris from space she is still sceptical about alien involvement and even more so about the Brigadier's claims regarding the Doctor yeah she establishes all the types of plastic that it isn't um, and then she <laughs> says it doesn't have any polymer chains and I'm like I'm fairly certain that's what makes something plastic mm, but I'll therefore. go with it I'll go with it <laughs> Channing and Hibbert argue but Channing has a firm hold over Hibbert <gasps> Channing reports that the two energy units are still missing. Hibbert speculates that the Doctor may have one, but Channing thinks they are more likely embedded in soft earth. To locate them, Channing will increase their pulsation signals. Hey, hey, Aim. Aim, mm. um, that's not that's not the only thing about Hibbert that Channing has a firm hold on. <laughs> what were you saying literally five minutes ago about Too Blue for the podcast? <laughs> We're allowed to talk about... The, I mean, what I was going to say was much too blue for the podcast. That was okay. just implying that they might be having sex. It's different. <laughs> do, 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 do. Meanwhile, Celia removes the meteorite he found from an old metal trunk in his garden shed and takes a closer <laughs> look at it. As he does so, a mannequin comes to life in the woods. First shot of an Auton Looks so yeah. fun. It's yeah. so creepy. It's so creepy. It's cool that it's in the woods as well because like the yeah. displacement there. Yeah, it doesn't seem right at all. This is an no. out of out of context, very weird, and I love it. Celie's wife Meg comes into the garden, and he hurriedly pushes the energy unit out of sight into the shed. <laughs> After she goes back in the house, Celie again hides the energy unit in the solid metal trunk, muffling the trilling effect. In the woods, the hunting mannequin loses the signal and deactivates. I love his wife. <laughs> She's fantastic. She has the passion of a thousand sons. She's like every World War Two housewife in like an evacuation drama. Yes. That is the character. <laughs> but like, you know, every, every single one of them. You can imagine that she had like five kids as her evacuees and she was like, you know, she pretended she didn't like them, but actually she was a very nurturing mother. Um all of that stuff. I have like mm. I guess I have headcanons about Meg Seeley. You have the the Meg extended universe. Yeah, well, I mean maybe she's secretly the Meg. <laughs> the Meg. The Meg, the big shark. <laughs> <laughs> Soon to have a sequel directed by Ben Wheatley. <laughs> God. Hold me with your sharks. I love sharks. I love sharks. I know. You're a shark guy. 
<laughs> I am a short guy. Um, the kids at the end of the day stay. I couldn't be asked to read to them, so we watched a Deadly Sixty episode about sharks. Nice. I felt so fulfilled. It was about how hammerheads have like the most the most range of vision of any shark. That's really cool. It fucking is, right? <laughs> I enjoyed the Roy Kent energy you're bringing here. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I aspire to be like Roy Kent in many ways. We all do. We all yeah. do. Um, where were we? In uh, the, the Brig- woods. <laughs> yeah. The Brigadier welcomes Major General Scooby. <laughs> Scooby or Scooby? I, I, I saw this Scooby. written down. I thought, I need to pay Scooby. attention to when they say it because I'm not going to have to pronounce it. I mean, evidently, I didn't pay any attention to how they pronounce it's it. It's Scooby. Scooby. Major General Scooby, units liaison with the regular army, and introduces him to Liz. It's always interesting, like, this serial very clearly tries to show that separation between the regular army and unit, especially in the uniforms, which we haven't mentioned. Mm. Go on, talk about the uniforms. I think they are bad. (laughs) Fashion watch with Rosie. What can I say? They're like, it reminds me of how, like, in the first Star Trek movie, they weren't quite sure what they wanted to do Uh, with it. uh, Yes, first Star Trek movie uniform bad, first Star Trek movie bad. Yeah, first Star Trek movie uniform, it's it's better than the first Star Trek movie uniform, but it's also like because of the fact that they're in really washed out places and it's all filming, it's all on film, the yeah. light colours really fade into the background and you want something a bit more impactful, which I guess is why they ended up with the brig in his beautiful green outfits. Um, yes, they got there. But yeah, so I'm looking forward to when they change that. I think it's after, I think it's next series actually. I feel like they retool again when Liz leaves. Because it's... Um, Barry that makes sense. doing his thing. Yeah. Letting letting his hair down. <laughs> <laughs> Is that I'll anything? Bet money that he's probably bold or something. I don't know. <laughs> You'd let money. <laughs> I'm going to keep going. Yeah. Back at the sure. hospital, Forbes is guarding Dr. Beavis's vintage car at his request. Meanwhile, the doctor, clad only in a hospital gown, sneaks into the staff locker room in search of some clothes. When Doctors Henderson and Beavis enter, the Doctor jumps into the shower, hiding his face from them. (laughs) As the unit soldiers dig up a pulsating, trilling meteorite, the Autons standing silently in the woods begin to move again until it locks onto the signal. The Doctor, having got out of the (laughs) really cool vintage shower... He was was Um, just singing in the shower. It was so funny. It was very cute. This is the first shirtless Doctor seen in Doctor Who history paving the way for every other doctor like please correct me if i'm wrong and patrick troughton did show like his nipples to camera, i bet he does but, like, i bet he does in the highlanders yeah or in underwater menace actually he might but anyway um <laughs> so we see him i, can't I don't remember, want to spend too much time thinking see... about troughton's nips i can't <laughs> um i can't remember if this is where we first see john pertwee's tattoo from the navy or yes not, it is but, you know it that's is. his his mark of the exile or whatever mm-hmm. fan wanky explanation there is that's what it is, yep. The doctor has dressed himself in a selection of patients' clothes he has <laughs> borrowed and adds Beavis's hat, cloak and overcoat. As he escapes and alert is raised, hurriedly he tries to find a card steal, settling on Dr. Beavis's antique jalopy. Jalopy, I love a jalopy. It reminds me jalopy? of... I was, I mean, probably. I was talking to my mum about this because there was something we were watching used the word jalopy or jalopy. And I was like, you know, I learnt that from an episode of What We Do in the Shadows. <laughs> uh, 
I need to finish watching season four at some point. It's it's an earlier one. It's where they go to the vampire the the vampire place a council and they, they've got yeah, the vampire their vampire. old car yeah and they've got the old car and yeah. they're trying to get it out of the place because they don't realize that there is a garage door that you can press a button to open yeah. um so funny iconic iconic behavior have i told you that um sam got a mobility scooter and through nice. accidental neuro-linguistic programming um i got her to name it bessie <laughs> You have such an impact on the world around you. I do. She liked it as a name for a thing. And I was like, you do realise it's from Doctor Who. And she was like, I won't hold that against her. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We must also mention how stylish the Doctor looks in this outfit. It's a great look. It's very swish. It's very dapper. Mm, It's very swishy. Mm, I want to wear it. The cloak is like black with a red silk lining. And I'm like, I need this outfit in my life. Yes. You could make it. I bet you could make it fairly easily. Oh, probably. I was just thinking that I saw a pattern on TikTok a while ago for one of those like vintage nurses capes. Um, Ooh. I think it's quite similar. But That's I'm too busy making cool. a dress. <laughs> Fair. I am currently knitting a baby blanket. Nice. Anyway, Monroe orders Corporal Forbes to deliver the meteorite to Unit HQ. On the way, Forbes swerves to avoid the hunting Auton, which emerged from the wood beside the road. He crashes the Land Rover into a tree and is killed. Oof. The Auton takes the meteorite. His head like smashes through the windshield, and there is like Kensington gore dripping from that from that glass. It is a lot. It's like you know, it's a lot of blood, and like he just fucking dies like immediately, and you're like, oh god, that poor guy. I quite liked him, you know. Mm. Mm. It's intense. Um, it is quite a dramatic car crash scene. Meanwhile, the Doctor drives into Unit's vehicle entrance. Fantastic scene here. Before the Commissioner can even ask to see his documents, the Doctor berates him, declares he has no pass, <laughs> demands to see a Bri- demands to see Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart at once. <laughs> King shit. This is icon behaviour. This is... I, I wish to have this confidence. I do not have this I level know. of confidence. I wish for it. He drives up. He goes, I expect you want to see my pass. Well, I haven't got one. <laughs> but you're letting me in anyway, effectively. Yeah, so it's really good. And the brigadier's like, yeah, let him in. It's probably important. <laughs> He's so put upon this serial. It's great. He is. He is. The brigadier understandably has a lot of questions, but the yeah. doctor explains that he has lost his memory. Sure the you brigadier- have, babe. <laughs> <laughs> the brigadier asks how he how is he to know that the doctor is not an imposter the doctor replies that only he knows that the doctor examines the broken bits of the meteorite and deduces that they were hollow spheres transporting something to earth the doctor asks him how many meteorites came down and the brigadier says there were 50 of them but only one has been found and that has disappeared <laughs> ransom returns to the autoplastics factory climbing over a high wall to enter the grounds in Hibbert's office Channing and Hibbert are showing General Scobie a plastic facsimile double of dummy of Scobie himself before showing him to his car. Wow, there's Channing no way ex- that this can go badly. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Channing explains to Scobie that they invited him to the factory because although their measuring techniques are very accurate, the equipment is not transportable. <laughs> because the equipment is a big alien anus. Um... It's when we say, dear listener, that it is a big alien anus, we mean... It is a big alien anus and we will get there. It's really something. Mm-hmm. 
Ransom enters the factory, climbs the staircase and breaks into his old workshop, finding it full of new modern electronic equipment and a line of blue overalled mannequins. <laughs> As he inspects a strange computer-like device, he hears an... Oop, hiccup. He hears a noise from behind him. He slowly turns around and is horrified to see one of the mannequins step down from <gasps> a plinth and, a, and halt in front of him. And the gun hand opens. Fucking... Ugh. I love the gun <sighs> hand. I love the I hate gun the hand. gun hand. I love the you gun hand the as a concept. Hand. I would hate to be, you know... Assailed with it. Yeah. It did make me think about Rory. Plastic Rory. Oh. Oh. And I did then cry thinking about Plastic Rory. Because, oh my god. The Autons haven't got much play in the new series. But when they're there, they're there. You know? <laughs> when they're there, they're really there. Mm-hmm. It was also this mm-hmm. episode where I realised that the reason they're called Autons is because they were made by autoplastics. Oh, God. So that's something. Um, and also, I think this episode is where the Doctor says that the the reason that they're going missing is because obviously someone's collecting them. They just don't know where they're going. I think so. I watched it two days ago and my brain was already <laughs> them all. Yeah, we did delay this one because I was time in a bad mood. It. Yeah, we delayed this one because I was in a bad mood. That the bus was being a fucker to you. Are you having bus, bus driver shortages over in Bristol? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised because like, every time I get on a bus, I see an advert that's like, become a bus driver. It's great. We promise. Um, <laughs> yeah, we um we have had patchy bus service since about mid-September. And they keep saying it's the national bus driver shortage. But saying that, I got on one number eight today and it was passed by three more number eights. Despite the live tracker saying I wouldn't see another Ember 8 for 10 minutes at the bus stop. And it was... I don't know what's going on. I don't know. I, I got home, I'm still... Fine. I was in such a bad mood. I, like, I lost an earring yesterday and that has, Ooh. like, impacted me all week. It's my favourite pair of earrings. I was like, oh. this is not a good sign. Anyway. <laughs> so, anyway. first two episodes, they're pacey. I really enjoy them. There's some good... Like, we start to get the fun interplay between Liz and the Doctor, which I very much we enjoy. Do. Um, I love their dynamic. I really he do. Says, you I know... know um, Pertwee himself has said that he didn't quite like it because why would the Doctor want somebody that smart as his companion? And I'm like, fuck off, Pertwee, you sexist prig. I think um, I understand what he's saying. In the I sense know, that, but like, also I quite like also, the idea of somebody meeting the Doctor near his yeah. level. It's like the Martha Jones thing. Yeah. Also, it wasn't John Pertwee who uh, decided not to renew Caroline John's contract. So really, I'm like, Barry Letts, I'm going to hurt you. <laughs> yeah, that's um, fair. But yeah, I like the bit where he's like talking to her and he goes, do I really have to keep calling you Miss Sharon? She's like, no, no, it's Liz, it's Liz, like giggling. And it's really nice. Mm. It's cute. I like it them, is. they're cute. I have read, um, let's let's be honest, and I'll reveal this, um, there is on LiveJournal, like the rare Pez list, and they did have some OT3 for three Brig and Liz, and I did really enjoy Ooh. it. <laughs> oh, I like that. Yeah, I like that dynamic. Cool. It's a good dynamic. I enjoy it. It's sort of like all three of them have like towards one another like they like they like them but also sometimes they're really pissed at them and they complain about them to the next person in the polycule. <laughs> and the cycle keeps continuing. Absolutely. Beautiful. Yes, um episode 3. Yeah, good baby. cliffhanger from the previous episode. I love the Autons moving. Like it is just unnerving and you're like mm. it does it gives mostly... you that uncanny valley <laughs> Yeah, they've mostly managed to get guys of about the same height. So they do look fairly identical. Um, mm-hmm. So that's good. 
And they're all wearing these blue, like, boiler suits. Anyway, the mannequin's hinged hand drops away and discharges a powerful energy bolt at Ransom, but he evades it. Yeah, it's not really clear what... It's just lasers. It's just a laser gun, essentially. Um... Mm. But it's an intense... I don't know, I just don't like that gun hand. I think it's it's good. It's it's not nice to look at. It makes you feel very strange about your own hands. (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm not... I I can't do hand gore. Maybe this is it. Maybe, maybe. Um, he escapes down the fire escape aptly with the mannequin in rapid pursuit in the factory the mannequin is on the point of blasting Ransom down in the car park as the general bids them goodbye Channing refuses to shake his hand <laughs> because it would be too obvious he's an auto yeah I liked that but yeah so the the mannequin is at the top of the fire escape and um, Ransom managed to get down it and then like the the general is there and if he'd turned around and heard like a noise he would have seen the auton so they're like no don't shoot don't shoot even though you know they're like, well, we do want to kill Ransom, but we can't. <laughs> mm-hmm. Poor mm-hmm. Ransom, honestly. He just wanted to shout at his ex-boyfriend, and now he's being pursued by mannequins. All he wanted was his electronic dolls. Mm-hmm. It reminds... For some reason, I was like talking about this episode with Sammy, and then for some reason I referenced that meme snakes manifesting physically in my home. Um, do you remember that one? <laughs> no. Anyone remember no. the snakes manifesting physically in my home meme? <laughs> <laughs> it was from Tumblr in like 2012. <laughs> I the uh, I'm trying to think of things in this room I can ask. I have my housemate's fencing jacket, my housemate's convention <laughs> costumes, my housemate's motorcycle helmet, my housemate's repair kit. There's a lot of my housemate's shit in the office. Damn, but not one of them will tell you whether they remember this not meme. Anyway, a single one can tell me. Yeah, so Ransom's having a very bad day. Um so later, Channing and Hibbert discuss the fact that Ransom was here, and Channing says he will send an auton. Meanwhile, a terrified Ransom runs out into Oxley Woods, where he collapses and is rescued by units. Yay! Yay! Ransom is shell shocked and can only mutter something. Of course, about he is. Made in the factory. Yeah, he's traumatized. Oh man. Monroe sends him to Unit HQ. The Doctor and Liz can get no readings from the energy unit. He persuades Liz to try to get the TARDIS key from the Brigadier. He claims he has a lot of equipment in there, which he does, but that's not Mm. why he wants the TARDIS key. Mm. (laughs) I was fooled by this initially, and then I was like, "Mm." when when the Brigadier explained it, I was like, yes, you do actually know him quite well, don't you, Brigadier? (laughs) (laughs) Is this the bit where they try to do something and then it sets itself on fire or something? (laughs) It's been two days and I don't recall that happening, but Ah. I wouldn't doubt it. (laughs) Well, anyway, I just remember so much of it because I was watching it on a very miserable commute, so I needed to focus on something, and what I focused on was Spearhead from Space. Um, Legitimately, because it's fucking good. (laughs) In a unit tent, Captain Monroe telephones headquarters and is confident that his cordon will keep whoever took the meteor from getting far. Celia is brought in after asking about the reward for a thunderbolt. Uh, Thunderball and Monroe demands to know where he found one. Seeley pleads ignorance. Is Thunderball a James Bond movie? Thunder. There's definitely a Thunder something, James Bond. I think it's Thunderball. Today we were um, learning the French colours and we said or is gold and they were like, mm. and then I said, well, in the movie, and then I was going to suggest that in the movie Goldfinger you could remember or because of Arik Goldfinger and then I was like, none of these children will have seen no, Goldfinger. these kids are going to get the Goldfinger reference. <laughs> oh my God. How do you do, fellow kids? You ever seen this James Bond film from 1964 or something? God. Surely Goldfinger's in the 70s. 
No, it's I swear it's sixties. I swear it's because seventies is Roger Moore and Goldfinger is Connery. Sixty-four. Good job. I'm a fucking genius. You win. You win. Goldfinger bingo. It's me that Goldfinger. (laughs) Goldfinger. It's you, Goldfinger. (laughs) That's the name of the episode. (laughs) Me, Goldfinger. Hi, Um, I'm Goldfinger. It's me. Goldfinger. <laughs> it's 7pm on a Thursday. Come on, we got to do this. I didn't even put any gin in my orange juice. Right. Ransom is in Brigadier Lethbridge to its office, telling the Brigadier what he has seen at the factory. Liz interrupts, sees the TARDIS key on the desk and takes it without the Brigadier noticing. He's like, oh, sorry, 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 Michelle, I am busy. I am busy. He's quite rude to her. And she's like, fuck you then, and takes the key, which I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. And then Brig noticing it's gone, it's just like, ha. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Brig is sceptical of Ransom's story. And then he notices that the key is gone, and he's like, oh, for God's sake, Liz. Um... <laughs> the, the doctor disappears into the TARDIS the brigadier enters and corners Liz he calls her gullible and says they will never see the doctor again now because he has abandonment issues apparently <laughs> you can understand like, why he's not seen get... his husband in a very long time then he came back in a different face yeah it's awkward it's awkward um, to prove his point the TARDIS starts to make its dematerialization noise but suddenly cuts out and begins to smoke the doctor emerges shamefaced. He admits that he cannot contemplate a life in one place and time. This He's is the so start upset of about like this. This is the start of the deep, like existential <laughs> sadness of the Earthbound era. Because no matter how yeah, much fun the doctor that never is having, truly leaves him. I know it's like he loves his his found family at unit and stuff, but he wants to be doing adventures. Mm. And like Pertwee's doctor is like founded in this moment of like like traumatic separation from everything he's yeah. known in his life so far like the ability yeah. to fly the TARDIS and everything and he has to reconstitute his personality yeah and from, I like, feel for signifiers. him I do I do and he looks so like he looks so shit he looks like a like a schoolboy who's been caught with like his fingers in a fucking chocolate cake or something bless him Brigadier is about trauma, actually. It really is. I'm sure we'll talk about it later. Um, The Brigadier questions Ransom about the other man at the factory. Ransom says he is called Channing and appears to have a mental hold on Hibbert. The doctor suggests they visit the plastics factory. This is our hypnosis klaxon for this serial because we finally got (laughs) hypnosis again! Yay! We we had a decent hypnosis run, I think. Well, our most recent one was Power of the Doctor. Um, Which had hypnosis. 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 Hypnosis, hypnosis, hypnosis. I'm having a good time. Like I'm having the, a good time. It sounds like the name of a dog superhero when you sing it like that. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I did a lot of singing today. Um, we had a music nice. lesson that I had to cobble together because I wasn't doing fucking glockenspiels. Um, <laughs> and who can blame you? Who can blame me? Um, right. So the doctor suggests they visit the plastics factory um, because of on account of all of the plastics that they're finding that have crashed mm-hmm. from space that are vanishing mm-hmm. in the vicinity of a plastics factory. Mm-hmm. I wonder what the connection mm-hmm. could be. Suspicious. Yes. Meg, the poacher's wife, I opens the trunk in the shed and discovers the swarm leader and she is immediately pissed off with her husband. She's like, for fuck's sake, I told him to 
not do this ever. <laughs> Stop stealing things. Um, this registers with Hibbert and Channing. An Auton is also activated by the energy unit. Uh, and then I got very worried that she was going to get killed. I was very worried about it. Um, she could have. Because I, I like that woman. Um, Seely tells the truth, just as the brigadier, the doctor and Liz arrive. Monroe informs them of the latest developments and they go to investigate. There's a lot of toing and froing with this tent in the middle of the woods and the unit <laughs> HQ. <laughs> yeah. And I was never quite thankfully... clear about who was where. Thankfully, they don't drag it out. So it's not six episodes of toing and froing. Mm, mm. could very easily have been dragged out I feel considering there's a lot of seven parters mm. this series um, we'll watch yes. them all eventually we shall uh, Meg puts the energy unit back in the trunk she hears a strange noise coming from inside the house she enters the house and encounters an auton she tries to defend herself with a shotgun but it has no effect so the auton is like fucking smashing her house up trying to find this thing um she's closed it away so there's no definite signal to where it is she goes in she's like jesus christ goes out grabs her husband's shotgun she's like i've loaded it you watched me load it i'm not lying and then she shoots it <laughs> twice in the chest um because she's mm-hmm. a fucking action she's hero. a badass where is it. the big finish box set <laughs> but actually that's true why haven't they done this yet <laughs> Sex. That, that, that's money they're just sitting on truly um Channing tells Hibbert the swarm leader has been taken by some unit soldiers. Mm. So, mm. yeah, they they get the unit turns up and like rescues uh, Meg, who has just been knocked unconscious. So like, she's okay. <laughs> um, which I was very which pleased about because she did get shot. Mm. Channing tells yeah, the Auton discovers ransom in the unit tent, cuts its way in, and blasts him down with an energy bolt. There is a flash of light as the Auton obliterates Ransom's body, which explodes without a trace remaining. I loved this effect. I loved it. Like it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense, but I loved it. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It's very intense. It's a bit of a. It's a way for him to go. Yeah. They go, total destruction! And then they, like, play the explosion backwards, and when they play it backwards, they vanish. Woo. Spooky. Maybe the orphans are ghosts. Maybe. That'd be fun. (laughs) The Doctor, the Brigadier, and Liz meet Hibbert in his office. Channing overlooks their entrance. The Brigadier tells him about Ransom's story, admitting that they too had encountered the Auton. The Doctor asks what they make at the factory. Hibbert states dolls and, more recently, mannequins. Yeah, so they tell him about Hibbert's thing. Uh, they tell him about mm. Ransom's story and Hibbert is like, oh no, you know, he came up with this doll but it was rubbish so I fired him. And it's like, no, you liar. No, you didn't. We know How what dare. happened. You he had the paperwork him. to prove it. You bastard. <laughs> yeah, Someone so needs to do an expose. I need a seven-part yeah. series on YouTube. They make the mannequins for Madame Tussauds. Some of them. Ugh. I like that they specifically yeah. reference Madame Two Swords. Yeah. <laughs> As, like, they couldn't make up a fake one. They actually used the IP Madame Two Swords. I feel like these days they've come up with, like, a fake wax factory. Oh, um, mm-hmm. wax museum. I don't know how many... Like Madame have... New Swords. I don't know. Like, I feel like wax museums, are they, like, an international phenomenon? Or are they mostly, like, the are. Anglosphere? Ooh, that's a good question. Like, it feels like obviously they came from France, but like, I don't know where all the Madame Two Swords are that aren't just like expansions. Because I went to one on the Isle of Wight that was massively fucked. Um, they're just like the most. I think fucked there's some in America. Attraction. They're the most fucked attraction in the world. 
I um. don't enjoy them. No. Um, the one we went to in the Isle of Wight, we went and we, my dad went into the all Isle of Horror bit, or like the, the, the horror bit, and was like, no, we're not doing that. But we did go to the Victorian oddities section. <laughs> Why would you do this? Which included a stuffed, like the monkey mermaid situation and a two-headed calf and a bunch of other stuff in cases. Um, and that was our Isle of Wight day out. <laughs> that sounds And then we went back to the I holiday camp and we danced the night away with a big guy in a red squirrel costume. Shall we move on from that curse? No. <laughs> <laughs> at Unit HQ, Welcome the reader says he recognises Channing from the photograph at the hospital. He used to ask General Scobie to launch a raid on the factory. The doctor uses an electroencephalograph and finds that the swarm leader is emitting brainwaves and wonders if it could be communicated with. Can I just congratulate myself for saying electroencephalograph right first try? I'm really proud of you. Thank you. Um, yeah, so you that's did better EEG. than I would have. I don't know why they don't just list it as an EEG. Uh, but they don't, so thanks Tardis mm. Wiki for that one. Um, Scobie agrees to meet the Brigadier and offers any support needed, and then hangs up to answer a knock at his front door. This is another really good cliffhanger. Scobie opens the door to reveal an exact replica of himself, but greasier, which enters and advances towards him. I've had genuine nightmares along that theme. Oh, mate. What time? Oh, can't do it. Sorry, what do I have? Can't do it. No, my friends have just messaged me asking for my chapati recipe. Give me a second. Okay, okay, you sort that out. Yeah, um, you know, we could start. We could start the like the recap of episode four. But yeah, episode three is really good. Hmm. Sorry, I just opened Google Drive and it said something went wrong, and I was like, ah. <laughs> um, yeah, episode three very good. I really enjoyed it. I watched um most of it while I was attempting to get the internet to work at the school I was working uh, at that morning, and the internet ooh. never got to work. But I didn't mind because I was watching Doctor Who. <laughs> this is gonna bring great audio. Maybe I should just read out my chapati recipe. <laughs> Why don't you? I'd like to know. Okay, I'm obsessed with this ingredients list that just has flour on it. <laughs> <laughs> Surely you have flour there as well. Cook the flour. Yes, okay. So I was right. It's half as much liquid. Yeah. All right. (laughs) Would you like to hear my chapati recipe? Yes, please. I learned this at university in our one cooking lesson that we did for my entire education degree. Uh, 100 milliliters of water, a tablespoon of oil, 200 grams of plain flour, a teaspoon of salt. Uh, Mix together in a bowl to a dough and then portion it out into however many you want roll out each one brush it with melted butter or oil fold it up again and roll it out again and then you cook it in a hot pan um nice that sounds like chapati yes yes it's yummy anyway (laughs) apologies for that interruption i had to do it right away or i would forget um (laughs) that's fine i know what it's i too have a cursed brain yes okay that was episode three we can do this come on we can do this episode four Yes. At unit, the doctor and Liz are investigating the meteorite. The doctor says that inside is that what they're it is... calling it these days. <laughs> the doctor says that inside it is part of a brain that makes up a larger consciousness. General Scobie's re- replica telephones and tells the brigadier the factory is off limits and that there is to be no raid. The brigadier crossly puts the phone down, telling the doctor he will go over Scobie's head to the Home Secretary or Geneva. Later, the doctor and Liz visit Madame Tussauds and discovers a tableau of dummy replicas of important government officials. The doctor discovers from an attendant that all the replicas are not are made not of wax but plastic. The attendant also mentions the model of General Scobie arrived today. The doctor investigates the model in Scobie and discovers a wristwatch wound and still at the right time. 
I love this bit. They're just standing in a hall. Like, I feel like Madden Two Swords is meant to have a bit more, like, pomp and circumstance than just putting them all stood around. <laughs> yeah, probably. Is that what it's like? I haven't been to Madam Two Swords. Listeners, if you've been to Madam Two Swords, please let us know. I've been. It was very cursed. Um, I went around Hell... Why did you go? It sounds like you're terrified of it. Yeah, I was. They also had like a spooky bit where you went through this dungeon and someone chased you like a horror attraction. So I did that as well. Wow. That's fun. It was actually. Did they still have Holy Harvey Crippen or have they put him away now? I don't remember seeing him. (laughs) That means nothing. Yeah. In the factory workshop, Channing tells Hibbert that the meteorites have created a body for the creature. Channing says he needs the swarm leader back and that they have the help of General Scobie's replica to do so as it is far more sophisticated than the Autons. Meanwhile, at the waxworks, an attendant turns off the lights and leaves the room. Liz asks if he thinks the model of Scobie is the real Scobie. He says that is what he suspects. The Doctor and Liz hide behind a curtain as Channing and Hibbert enter the room. The Doctor and Liz hear the door close and emerge only to meet Hibbert. Hibbert says that Channing is his partner. Mm-hmm. The Doctor tells Hibbert he has to escape from Channing and asks him to come down to Unit so he can help him. The Doctor is like, please, I can help you. At dawn, the Autons posing as a shop window mannequins are activated. They smash their way out and kill anyone who gets in their way, including a policeman and a queue of people at a bus stop. Scene is so fucking good. The scene is so fucking good. <laughs> it's so good. intense. It's because it's so close to a, like, you can see it happening on your own street. Yeah, like, you can see, like, a Curry's in the background, like, the electrical yeah. like, supplier. And you're like, oh my god, this is a real street in real London. <laughs> and obviously you don't actually see them smash through the window, but the sound, and then you see them come out, and you're like, oh, I don't like them moving at all. I don't like them moving at all. I don't like them moving at all. I feel like the ones in the new series weren't wearing, like, fun wigs, which sort of made this one even creepier that they had the wigs, but then the faces were still awful. <laughs> yep. I don't know. Sometimes the old shit effects are scarier. They are. They're just unnerving. Mm. Back in the lab, the brigadier tells the doctor that the autumn invasion has started. In Channing's workshop, Hibbert is now free of Channing's control and uses a metal bar to open the tank containing the creature, which looks like an anus I don't know if we've mentioned, but breaks a small button on the tank. Channing enters and stops Hibbert, telling him he should not have left the factory grounds, but Hibbert tells him that he has been controlling his mind. Channing says he has a part of the alien species called the Nestines, who have been colonising other planets for a thousand million years, and now they will colonise Earth. Surprise, everyone. It was about the anxiety of um, reverse colonisation all along. (laughs) (laughs) It was about the British Empire's dying worries all along. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the Doctor and the the soldiers leave Unit and head for the factory. Channing tells Hibbert there is nothing he can do. Hibbert attempts to kill Channing in the Autons by hitting the tank with a pipe, but is killed when an (laughs) Auton shoots him with an energy bolt. The Doctor and the soldiers reach the plastics factory. The Doctor opens the door, and everyone enters the factory grounds. Just then, General Scobie's replica arrives with the unit forces and tells the Brigadier that he and his men are under arrest. The Doctor points <gasps> his device at General Scobie's replica, and the replica collapses. He turns the body of Scobie over to reveal the face of a mannequin. Good reveal. It is. It is good. It's intense. The Brigadier explains the situation to the unit forces while the Doctor and Liz sneak away. The Doctor sneaks up on Channing, who tells him that the Doctor is too late. Channing explains that the Nestine are a collective and killing just one of them will not work. The Doctor s- says that means there must be a way of destroying them collectively. 
Channing says they're indestructible. Mm, we got about sure five minutes does. left, let's see. <laughs> yeah. The Doctor finds his weapon is not working. The Doctor goes over to the machine and discovers that the nesting consciousness <laughs> has created a monstrous <laughs> tentacled body for itself. This is the anus. With, this is with the arms. exact moment that someone sat down next to me on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked at what I was watching and I was like, God, I hope the scene doesn't go on for three minutes. And, and it then does. it did. It goes on for so long. It He's does. just being cho- It's literally like tentacle choking pornography. Which someone has gotten off to this in the intervening 50 years. Oh, That's all I'm God. saying. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> as the doctor struggles as- with the creature's tentacles, Liz finds the trouble, a loose connection. She fixes it and uses the doctor's machine to shut down the, nentures, so- shut the nesting consciousness down. Without the motive power of the consciousness, the autons collapse. The invasion is over. Liz is Liz getting to do science. I know. This is one of the best things about her. She does shit. Indeed. Oh. Liz is glad to see the Doctor is alright, but then she discovers Channing. At Unit HQ, the Doctor and Liz explain that the machine was a simple ECT device. The Brigadier floats the offer to the Doctor to let him work on a means to repair the TARDIS, while also helping units stop future alien invasions. The Doctor, with misgivings, accepts the offer. End of episode. End of serial! We did it! We did with it. only like three interruptions! That wasn't too bad! <laughs> Yay! I'm proud of right. us! Fucking good serial, though. Fucking I had such good a good cereal. time with this one. Me too. It's like, it's pacey. It's not as sexist as a lot of the other Doctor Who around this time. <laughs> um, there's Autons. There's scary shit. There's chases. There's a wheelchair chase, specifically. <laughs> it's fun. It's fast. It's furious. Vin yes. Diesel's there. <laughs> two spearhead, two space. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I enjoyed watching it. It was easy to watch. It didn't feel laborious, as some of them can. And I say this loving it, classic it's, heat. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. Um, Shall we get through our talk segments? About the main man of the hour. Our boy, the Doctor. An apple a day keeps the... Uh... No, never mind. I think it might be the most um, iconic introduction to a Doctor ever. Yeah. Just like coming out of the TARDIS and falling flat on his face. Who does that? It's very good. Who is doing it? I also like 11... I like 11 crashing in Amy's back garden and then popping up sideways out of the TARDIS. That's That's quite good. That's good. Um, Although that's not really the introduction to the Doctor because he was in the end of the previous episode. True. So like... These days you can't really do the same thing because they're not going to let you end an episode without a regeneration, like showing a new Doctor. Um, Which is a shame, really. I think like, they're cowards. I think it's the uh, it's, this is like the only time where a regeneration, like the 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 beginning of the regeneration, has not been immediately followed by the reveal of the next actor's face. I think Davidson to Baker. Oh, did they not reveal his face? I thought they did. I don't think they do an Androzani. Oh, I wow. don't. I, this could be misremembering because I think he only appears. Is Androzani Robert Holmes? Who did who did Androzani? I think it was might be Holmes. <laughs> it is Robert Holmes. Hey, oh, I'm such a good job, you nerd. Yeah, well, Robert Holmes, you did good with this one. I really enjoy it because it's like it's sort of um, it's it's comedic, but it's like sad comedy. It's like a sad clown situation. Um, because all the things that happen are funny, but they are also like 
devastating when you know what the doctor is usually yeah. up to. He's not usually stuck in a hospital bed being condescended to. No. For better or for worse. Yeah. And, you know, Pertwee is so good right off the bat. Oh, he, is, so he knows good. what he's doing. He knows what he's about. And he's here to have a good time. Yeah. Do you have anything about his casting in the behind the scenes bit? Um, not about his casting, actually. I've got a couple of, of comments around, but I haven't got yeah. past. They didn't have much about his casting. They didn't have much about becoming the Doctor in the... Yeah, it's just her. so interesting to me that, like, they cast someone... I know he was the second choice. Who's like... Yeah, oh, great news. I opened Inside the TARDIS, The Worlds of Doctor Who, and it has a quote about it. Yay! Um, it had been expected that Pertwee, known principally as a comedy actor from his role in the radio series The Navy Lark, where his talent for mimicry earned him the sobriquet of Man of a Thousand Voices, would bring his comic skills to Doctor Who. Yet, in fact, Pertwee accepted the part after being assured that I could assured that I could play the character straight. As I see it, the only this is the only way Doctor Who can be played by any actor. <laughs> I like um, it. I like. I have got. A quote I will say. From- I di- Go on. Yeah, I disagree with the next sentence that says that Patrick Troughton portray- portrayed the Doctor as a clown. He didn't. He had clownish he moments. <laughs> yeah, but it, he, it, he had it, his seriousness as well. The clownery is the, the clownery is the 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 silly the silly ass persona, if you will, the Peter Whimsy of it all. Mm. Um, but there's a very serious character underneath. Whereas Pertwee definitely relishes in the seriousness and then has like a fun, light hearted side to him, rather than it being like a cover. <laughs> Yeah, there's um something that he says about it in, that I picked up from the the handbook. Um, John Pertwee said, Terence Dix and I were great talkers and great listeners, and throughout our years together, we were constantly striving to find a rationale for Doctor Who, an ethic, if you prefer. I was very clear in my mind about what the Doctor would do and what he wouldn't do. He was a flawed knight in shining, shining armour, but flawed only insofar as he was human. In other words, he was a knight who had left part of his armour at home and had knocked the rest up out of tin cans. I'm like wiggling really like. in delight at this quote. It's I such a this. it's 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 wonderful. That self-made knights. Mm-hmm. That's our boy. He like puts it all together. He puts it all together with clothes he's stolen. It's an eighth Doctor introduction situation. Shoes and the fact that eight is also shoes. these shoes they, they fit, fit perfectly. perfectly. <laughs> oh God. It, he's so good, and he has so many good moments in this. Like he's sciencing it up. The, the, Liz asks what he's a doctor of, and he says practically everything. <laughs> yeah, um, I really like. He's so put out to be stuck with his husband. Yeah, you know, he and the Brig are a bit. You know, the the, the Brigadier wants him to stay, but he also knows that the Doctor doesn't want to, and he's like, I, "I'm going to keep the Tardis key from him." And as soon as he gets the Tardis key, it doesn't work, and the Brig is like visibly like. Oh no, the Doctor has to stay on Earth. What a shame. How will I deal with this? Oh no, oh man. (laughs) I love that we never establish where the Doctor goes when he leaves Unit HQ uh, Mm. in in the evenings because I don't think he's staying in the TARDIS as far as I'm aware, although I suppose he could be. So obviously in my heart, he's living in the Brigadier's house. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. At least at the beginning when he's blown up the TARDIS and he's like, mm, uh, it needs a bit of time to fix itself. I'm going to go sleep on your sofa, Brigadier. And then obviously sleeping on the sofa Turns into code. sleeping in the bed. Yes, of course. And that <laughs> was only for tolerating one our Dr. bed. Fan fiction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you to the audience for tolerating our Dr. Brigadier fan fiction. But, you know, I think the audience the come here the for it. Yeah. This is what they came for. Yeah, I 
I just love three so much. He is such a good character. He's I do want to discuss the trauma. <laughs> okay. So in this episode, three claims that he does not remember anything. What does this mean? Do we think? What is he saying when he says anything? Because I he think remembers he remembers a lot of it. I think he remembers all of it, but what is he claiming not to remember? I think he's claiming not to remember how he regenerated. Yeah. Um, Anything post war games. Like, yeah. God. Fucking. Yeah. Like <laughs> as I mentioned, I'm like, does the brigadier off screen ask how Jamie and Zoe are doing? And three is like, they're fine. Don't ask about them. Never ever mention again. them again. I can't cope. Yeah. Runs off, hides in a cupboard. Is like. Deep breaths, Doctor. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Um, I did find on... uh, What was it? On um, the... What is it? The Magical History Tour? Something like that. Um, They said that um, Barry Letts or somebody was trying to get uh, Wendy Padbury to stay on for a second series and Mm. stay with Pertwee as the companion. Um, Can you imagine how good Zoe as an Earthbound companion would have been? That would have been fantastic. The, the level of anachronism there would be fantastic. beautiful. It would be so good. <laughs> but then I guess the Doctor would have been less isolated, which would have made the... Uh, like, it would have made the Earthbound thing much less sad. Um, <laughs> Differently sad, I think. So there we are. He has to build his own situations. Um, they also considered bringing... Um, you won't know this character yet, because I don't think you've seen The Invasion, but they considered bringing back Isabel from The Invasion as a, as a companion, which I would have loved. I think that would have been great. And I think that's what Joe sort of ended up being as a spiritual successor to her character. Um, so when we get to the invasion, you'll get to see my beloved girl, Isabel. Looking forward to this. Indeed. Shall we jump on? Yeah, sure. I mean, I just love three. I just love him. He has he's... such a... He's he's so sad, but in a way that you're like, I don't know that this, the TV show realised that he was this sad. <laughs> Like, is it intentional how sad, fucking sad this guy is? I think Pertwee makes it intentional. Yeah. God, good fucking actor. He's so good. Brilliant actor. Um, <laughs> I have to go. Now look, if you're going to be in trouble, you'll need me to look after you. Me too. But right. you don't understand. Yeah, so we got some companions. I think we're going to mostly talk about Unit, and then Liz will be rolled into Wife City, as always. Because... Obviously. There's like two named women in this serial and a third one who's a nurse. <laughs> and a fourth one who's a unit soldier. Yeah, I don't know the if she's named She's not named. Yeah. Actually, yeah, you're correct. Yeah, so unit, the brigadier, the husband, the boy, the man that we love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Glad to see him. Glad to have him. He's just such a fun man. I wonder how people reacted to him being back in this. Because obviously, apparently Nicholas Corney had mentioned on the set of The Invasion that he would have been very happy to come back. He was like, please bring me back. I love this. Um, so like, what, did people know that the Brigadier was going to be in it? Did they go, oh my gosh, it's him when he turned up I on screen? So. Like, Was there like fanish delight? I, I have fanish delight whenever I see him. Mm. Mm. It's his voice as well. So I really like his voice. Yeah, it's so good. So he's introduced telling Liz about what Unit does. The Doctor doesn't turn up until like 10 minutes into the episode or something. So for a while, it's essentially the Avengers, <laughs> um, but mm. with aliens, <laughs> which is fair enough. I think the Avengers TV show had been going on for a while a at this long point. time, yes. I've it's never a... watched the Avengers TV. Actually, no, I've watched one episode of the I've Avengers TV it. show. It was good. I liked it. Um, 
sadly a lot of it is missing <laughs> really missing tv from bbc Ooh, what is yes. this was the avengers i thought the avengers was itv anyway we're not talking about the avengers <laughs> we're talking about the brigadier who we love <laughs> Yes, we love the Brigadier. He is so he's he's on form in this. He's he's a little bit more authoritarian, I feel, than usual, yeah. which is odd because he's also like beginning to he's yeah. beginning to soften at the edges about like not doing everything completely by the book and calling Jennifer about everything because it takes so long. He's like calling the Home Secretary, like, can we please go to this fucking plastics factory, <laughs> please? Like, why am I calling you? He's been on the phone with the Home Secretary all day. Meanwhile, General Scobie, who's been replaced with a fucking bar- like Ken doll. Is like, no, you can't go into the plastics factory. There's no reason to go into the plastics factory. It's not suspicious at all. <laughs> um So there's some there's there's some frustrations for the Brigadier. Um He clearly wants to recruit Liz. He's very impressed by her, but also he can't stop himself from being just a little bit sexist. No, he can't. He can't. I yeah. think um mm. <laughs> But then when the general is like sexist to her, he goes, actually, I think you'll find that Miss Shaw is a very qualified individual. Yeah. It's like, no one else is allowed to be sexist. This is her. this is my I'm person to berate. Nobody else can. Yes. I think in a way he's trying, like, I don't think this, I think that Robert Holmes is being sexist about it. But in a way, I think the brigadier, like, probably doesn't think he's being sexist. He's just treating her like everyone else. But actually, by treating a woman in this way, he is being very belittling in a workplace with, like, two women in it. Yeah. Um, the Brigadier does not know about feminism. He would probably support it if he knew about it, but unfortunately, women are not really his area. <laughs> he would be an ally if he knew that he could be an ally. But he's never exactly. given it any he would thought. Be, he would be bisexual if he knew that that was a thing. <laughs> I've read a lot of fanfic recently, like Stranger Things fanfic, where <laughs> he would like, be bisexual if he knew it was a thing. The bisexual and is like, oh yeah, I guess that's me. <laughs> Yep. Um, I also love his disappointment when it's not his doctor. Yeah, he's like, oh, I don't recognize him at all, and he's so sad. And like, what like goes, and then the and then three is like, Brigadier or Lethbridge Stewart? Is that you, dear fellow? And you're like, oh, husbands, <laughs> instant chemistry. The chemistry between Pertwee and Courtney is so it's good. so good. It's so, so good. fun to watch. Yeah, like the Trout and Courtney one was good, but they didn't have as much time to develop it. Whereas over time, like Pertwee and Courtney is just like the ultimate. I love it. I like their dynamic. Yeah. They're fun. <sighs> yes. It's good. It's, it's very good. Um, and then the rest of Unit, it's sort of starting to build up the idea of it as being the background of the show. But they haven't it's introduced starting. the familiar faces yet. Like there's no Benton, there's no Yates. No Yates. So you're like... Who is Monroe? Who is Forbes? Why do I, I genuinely care? have to look up Monroe on the fucking TARDIS wiki? <laughs> I think he's only in this serial and then in a couple of short trips. He I, I just sort of assumed they hadn't got that army. far in fi- figuring out who they wanted to wear. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, this is all very temporary, right? Because they weren't filming on the fucking um, sound stages that they usually would and all this other stuff. So, like, it all feels very makeshift, which also makes sense because... <laughs> unit is sort of beginning this scientific advisor thing they don't quite have a lab set up they don't quite have the facilities that they need um Mm -hmm. you know like it it makes sense but it's also a bit like i miss the fam the unit dating controversy isn't fun when there's not enough unit people to (laughs) To smash together like bare barbie dolls (laughs) um where's the polycule where is the polycule in development yeah we should have called it the unit polycule controversy the demons episode instead of the (laughs) No, it is called the unit. I think it is. It's it? called. 
We're God, geniuses. We're fucking geniuses. We're so good we're at podcasting. We really are. Why well, haven't oh won any God. awards yet? Mm, it's a mystery. I have so many shelves to put trophies on. Nominate us for the Hugos. <laughs> please nominate us. Like genuinely, please nominate us for the Hugos. Do you think we can ethically nominate our own podcast for the Hugos? Yeah, I think we actually can. Right. Speaking of the Doctor and the Brigadier, however. Speaking of the Doctor and the Brigadier. On your knees, <laughs> Doctor. Well, they're obviously in love. On your knees, Doctor. Like, fucking... It's the perfect. It's such a good meet cute, it's meet good, ugly, whatever. Like, and I know immediately, who you are. I'm in love with you. It's it immediately falls into their like the odd couple dynamic. Yeah, it's they very do so good. Well. Like they complement each other. Like the brigadier knows the doctor better than the doctor knows himself in some ways. Mm. It's like it's good as fuck. It's, it's good as fuck. Um. As noted by myself, because I thought this was very funny, um, their relationship from this point on is literally the brigadier sugaring the doctor, because the doctor <laughs> does not accept a salary. Oh god, <laughs> he, just he doesn't, wants does he? Stuff. He just wants stuff. He wants clothes and a car and Probably like food. equipment. And the brigadier is like, "Great, I'll sort that for you." <laughs> Accommodation, fine. Come sleep day. in my bed. It's fine. This is this is perfectly normal behaviour. <laughs> <laughs> they're just normal men. I am heterosexual they're just they're just innocent men I mean obviously the doctor is the least man of all men um, yes but yeah it's god it's so good he's like oh I stole these clothes I better give them back <laughs> but what about the car and the brigadier's like you also have to return the car yeah and he's like no <laughs> no she's mine now so presumably next serial or the serial after we get Bessie I fucking love Bessie. Um, unfortunately, the Brigadier is going to commit genocide in the next couple of serials, but we must admit that, like, the Doctor really doesn't have a leg to stand on when it comes to genocide. No. Like, like, go- it's 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 a glass it's a glass house, Doctor. It's yeah. a glass house. Don't throw, don't throw any bricks. I mean, you should be throwing stones at one another, but don't be surprised when that glass house shatters around you. <laughs> Relationship advice. Mm. I also think that Hibbert and Ransom, as I mentioned, were having a torrid affair. And it ended badly. Like, and it ended badly, badly. because uh, he went to America for six months, and when he came back, his boyfriend had broken up with him via letter. But he hadn't um, got the letter. Yeah, yeah. He like receives the letter when he gets home, and he's like, "You dumped all my contracts, and you broke up with me, and you dumped me. <laughs> you dumped me. You dumped the most, me. The best actor in this serial, <laughs> definitely." <laughs> God, it's so good. Uh, Ransom thinks he is in his own like conspiracy thriller, mm-hmm. but he is not. He is a bit character in a Doctor Who serial, and therefore he must die. There was actually surprisingly little death. Like the death threats were there, yeah. were shocking, but I didn't expect more yeah. death. Oh no! I mean, did I tell you about the? Um, that Ran- um, did I tell you, you about say- the show I went to at the Fringe, which counted all of the deaths in Buffy the Vampire Slayer? And then did some No, you told excellent... me about the show you went to with a Dalek puppet. That was bad. That was bad. Yeah. Um, apologies if the person who made that is listening at Walter Hooker Show. Yeah. Um, the Buffy one was great. It was a guy who'd watched all of Buffy and made a spreadsheet of every single death to count them. Fantastic. And did a brilliant thing about like spreadsheets, data analysis, and grief. Fantastic show. I wonder if anyone's done that for Doctor Who. 
Well, we, I mean, we know that someone has counted all of them because it came up in the Scarred for Life book that I have. It's like mm. 1,572 or something like that. That's a number that I made up, but it's That's a lot a... of deaths. Oh, okay. Um, and now I kind of want to make a spreadsheet. <laughs> You'll have to watch all the Doctor, Doctor Who that Doctor we Who. can find, which is what oh, we're doing anyway. Oh, no, what a hardship. <laughs> Although I suppose we haven't been counting and we're on serial 48. So well, if you long, want to go back to... and rewatch all of the... Oh, no, what a hardship. You'll have to watch The Twin Dilemma no. again. I'm sure that there's already a spreadsheet out there. And if there's not, we can do a special episode about death and Doctor Who, which I think we already have as a special episode. I think episode. we have that as a list, yeah, because um, I'm a little bit fascinated by death. But yes, um, that's sort of the gay that I perceived in this serial. There wasn't um, much else. Mm. What there was, golden, really good. Mm-hmm. Also, the Doctor's outfit is... Beautiful. It's gay. It's it's confirmed. It's giving confirmed Bachelor. <laughs> You're one of these television chaps, then. I am no sort of chap, sir. Again, he's he, he's showing up all over he's the quiz so today. He's so gender. He's so gender. Like this is not a man. No. And yet, he's just he's he is they. He is they. <laughs> he is he is, he is the they. quintessential they. He's a they he. Yeah. We do tend to use he when referring to the classic doctors. Know that we're doing it in a non-binary way. Yeah. Like, the Doctor is not cis, and has never <laughs> been cis, and will never be cis. Um, and you can fucking deal with it, because the Doctor is accidentally the transist character in Ever history. to exist. Thematically, physically. It's like, there is no trans a character, because literally, the Doctor has transitioned so many times. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's never a detransition, it's just a continual transition. It's a retransition. A re- I was going to say a retransition. Yeah. And you're like, yes! Yep. Um, and I guess the new one is like a retro transition. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I have such a problem with it, it's because it's 13 detransitioning. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with detransitioning. <laughs> no, nothing at all. But. It makes me sad. Um, it makes me sad because yes, it's should uh, be Judy Gower. Yes, you have this point about do autons have gender? And I would say fairly conclusively, no. No. <laughs> um, it's like, autons in this case are ma- like masculine coded because they are the masculine mannequins in the shop windows. Um, but that's all to do with like human views of sexual dimorphism. Uh-huh. These autons don't have a gender. <laughs> they don't have individual will. <laughs> They're just shells. <laughs> I didn't have many points about this. I was just like, what else can we put in this? Do autons have gender? They all seem fairly masked, but in a very nondescript way. Can I can I talk about a, um, a movie I saw recently that had a sex doll in it? Because I, I just thought about it because of the autons being made of plastic. If you must. Um, I watched a really good film recently called uh, Rituals from 1977. Um, we, Me and Alex picked it for movie night based solely on the fact that the, the poster was quite cool. And then I looked it up on Letterboxd and I had a 3.4 and we were like, holy shit, is this going to be an actually good movie that we picked off of Amazon Prime? Which has never happened before. Um, anyway, it's about these five doctors. Five doctors who are uh, are going on a camping trip. It's quite a lot like The Ritual 2017, um, but it's from 1977, and also it's Rituals, which is very different, of course. <laughs> and they're going on this camping trip, but they all fucking hate each other, and they've all got like traumas on account of being like like trauma surgeons. Uh. They're having a bad time. One of them brings a sex doll on the camping trip. 
never okay. never really addressed um <laughs> oh and then they all end up getting uh, murdered one by one by this guy who has horrible medical trauma and hates all doctors oh. um here's the thing about the movie it's really fucking good oh uh, there's a gay character in it, which made me and Alex genuinely scream with delight that there was a canonically gay character in this 1977. Did they die? Like, fucking... They did die, but all of the characters died. Okay, that's less bad. That is not burial yeah. games for burying everybody. Yeah. Um, one of the characters uses the F slur against him, and you're like, whoa! Um, but it does confirm that he is actually gay, because initially we were like... Is, is he, he a little like, you know? Alex was like... Is he joking about having a male <laughs> lover? And it's like, no, he's not. He's not. He's just a gay guy. And it's a good movie and people should watch it. It is really good. Well, that's not what I, I was expecting. Because I've been thinking about it all episode. I've been thinking about Rituals, 1977. I looked it up on Letterboxd and its alternate title is Deliverance 2, which it is not a sequel to Deliverance. Huh. <laughs> so I don't know. It's like Troll 2, but good. Wow. But yeah, it's one of those exploitation situations, but it's not actually Hicks. Like, it, like it's just like, it's sort of, it's almost a folk horror, but not quite. It's very okay. strange, but very good. This sounds and like a very new film as well. Of the, the quality of the transfer of the film was so fucking bad. It was like watching, like, one of the, like, hand-cranked Doctor Who home movies sometimes. Hmm. But yeah, I just wanted to mention that um, before we talk about how beautiful and wonderful Caroline John is. Shall we do that now? Yes. Why? Shall we steal a vintage we must, car? We must. Uh, <laughs> we must uh, transport ourselves via meteor storm to another planet hey. on which we will populate Wife City. Wife City. Uh, it is time. Wife City for my wife. <laughs> yes, you really are the most devious bastard in Wife City. <laughs> Oh, sure. Lots of people. And there's a woman. A woman. A woman? Hey. Liz, 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 oh, Liz. God, she's Liz, beautiful. Liz, she's clever. Liz. She's a woman who does science. We love women she who do science. She has good hair in this cereal. She has she actually does. good hair in this cereal. <laughs> Unlike her weird triangle hair. <laughs> she's so good. She's she's beautiful. She knows what she's doing. She can, she can she is... step on me and talk oh. about science any day of the week. For fucking real like she's so intelligent she's introduced with like these accolades and it's genuinely earned you're like oh that is my and then she gets girl. to fucking use it as well it's very, very doctor funny. who's feminist actually sometimes for real according uh, i'm just looking at whether she is a doctor in this serial as far as i can tell in this serial she is not a doctor yet Ah, okay. This is my understanding. Is she working on a doctorate? I would assume she was working on a doctorate. I mean, she does seem quite young because he says, the Brigadier says she has multiple degrees. That could be a bachelor's and a master's. Yes, she seems young to have a full doctorate because if she's doing a scientific doctorate, that takes like fucking five or six years, doesn't it? Four years. Really? On average, four years. So it's three years for humanities, four years for a scientific Generally. Wow. I mean, most people will overrun this for one reason or another. Sorry, I'm just trying to think about... Because, um... <laughs> canonically, Liz was born in the 1940s, so she'd probably be about 30 in this. I feel like she could so be she a doctor. She could it just feels be a doctor. Like it's... Yeah, it feels like they, they don't mention it in this serial, but later on she becomes a doctor. Whether that's in other serials in this series where they decide she's a doctor. But mm. in this one, 
She is a miss, and she's she is miss. also fantastic. I just wanted to clarify that because we haven't been calling her Doctor, and it's not because she, it's, it's not, not it's not any disrespect. Yes. Um. I just love her. I love her. Actually, I'm going to look up the Chakotay quote so we can glory in her wonderfulness. Please do. Chakotaya, 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 Chakotaya. Okay, so Lethra Stewart greets her as uh, Michelle. She says, um, I have an important research program going ahead at Cambridge. Um, according to uh, TARDIS Wiki, she chose Newnham College over Girton because she doesn't like cycling. <laughs> huh. Well, she chose the wrong city to go to study in. Frankly, yes. my sister had an interview at Newnham. Actually, she had an interview. I stayed to study at Newnham. I had a friend there, and it was fine. Yeah, <laughs> like an Oxford snob. Such a snob. I'm. I'm sorry that I live in the better snobby university town. <laughs> um. All right. Uh, da, 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 I, I. I live da, da, da. in a council estate on it, but yeah. Okay, and then the brigadier says, yes, I know, an expert in meteorites, degrees in medicine, physics, and a dozen other subjects. Now, she definitely doesn't have a degree in a dozen subjects, because that's not how degrees work. No, it's really not. Um, yeah, this is like when fucking Iron Man says he has like six doctorates, and you're like, how do you have time to have six doctorates? People who truly hate themselves... It's just the kind of thing where you write something to sound impressive, but if you know even the slightest bit about how it works, you're like, this is not sensical. However, <laughs> I love it because it makes Liz the specialist girl in the world. Well, we know she is. You just have to look at her for two seconds to know she is. Yeah. I also love her bizarre coat that she's wearing this cereal. Mm-hmm. Tell <laughs> me more. Which is like this nice sort of brown suede, right? And it's like, it's like, it's sort of like mid thigh length. She's got some matching tights under it. And it's this nice brown suede, but then there's these long panels of like <laughs> pebble dash or something. <laughs> like It's fashion. Like the fucking sticky tiles you can put in your bathroom. Fashion. <laughs> But it's just integrated into the coat. And she's wearing it the whole time. And I'm like, this is the most 1970 coat I have ever seen in my life. And I must have it. We can we can search the charity shops for you. <laughs> I don't know. I wonder whether it's from the BBC props department. They were like, God, we need to use up this fucking fabric. We've got like half a metre of pebble dash fabric left. <laughs> And Doctor Who's like, we can take that. Thank you very much. Shall we jump onto behind the scenes? Yeah, I just want to so say that I love Liz Shaw. And she's only in it for like four serials, so we have to it's cherish not enough. her. It's not enough. Cherish, 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 love her. cherish. Today's science fiction so often becomes tomorrow's science fact. Yep. This story had the working title for simile. It's not facsimile. Huh, I always have for simile. Because I always think of it as like a fax machine, as a facsimile machine. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I could, it doesn't matter. I, it could be the sort of word that I've only ever read. Yeah, I mean, I've got hundreds of those. Today I said that well, me and Sammy are going to become like Cruet set collectors. And then I realised I'd never said that before in my life. Le <laughs> um, Creuset, do you mean? No, Cruet, like salt and pepper sets. Because I opened the cupboard to get the salt out, and in the cupboard there were two new salt and pepper shapes, <laughs> shaped like the red and yellow M and M's. 
Oh god, that's cursed. Uh, yeah. Very. I enjoyed it cursed. though. I also have Tardis ones. That's less cursed. That's acceptable. Thank you. Thank you. Um, there yeah, is. I like e- the working title facsimile. I think it's yeah. cool. Obviously it works. It makes sense. That, but yeah. There's a new title sequence, the first colour sequence designed by Burnett Lodge, who also designed the 1967 Troughton title sequence. It's the first to include in the company in closing title sequence rather than showing the credits over the back, over the back, a black background. Due to a technician strike at the BBC Television Centre, this story was entirely shot on film and on location. Other than the 1996 TV movie, it's the only Doctor Who story to be shot completely on film. The 2005 revival is shot on videotape, which is digitally remastered to look like film. Um, this is where we need somebody like Will Mr. Tardis to jump in and tell us more about the difference between tape and film, because I know very little about it. Yes, I did see something about how the technician strike was um, over pay negotiations because of the change to colour transmission resulted in oh, interesting. You know, technicians having to do more stuff. Yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah. I do love that it's on film. It looks really good, and it means that it's like the first one to be released on Blu-ray, right? Yeah. Yeah. Ah, oh, yawn. Um, today in my niche, the actor playing the Doctor is credited for the first time as Doctor Who, with Doctor being written out in full in the closing credits, as opposed to Doctor Who with Doctor abbreviated, which had been the norm <laughs> since 1963. This form of credit would continue until the end of the Tom Baker era in 1981, after which the character would be more appropriately credited as the Doctor. Through Actually, the revival I think it's, series, it's better to it would... call him Doctor Who to annoy people. <laughs> the revival series switched it back to, doc- to the Doctor Who credit for the first season only switching to The Doctor again from season two onwards at the request of David Tennant. Because he's a nerd. He is a nerd. I wonder if he listens to the podcast. Hey, David. I wish he did. Hey, David. David. Sorry for what we said about how we're annoyed that Jodie regenerated into you. We like you. We just like like you to get one more. (laughs) (laughs) We like you. We just like change. Yes, we do like Um, change. Change, my dear, not a moment too soon. Yes. If If you do listen to the show, David, let us know somehow. Send a smoke signal. <laughs> blink, blink if you listen to the podcast. <laughs> Just anytime, anywhere. Yes, absolutely. But yeah, uh, Will, Mr. Tardis, if you know more about this, please let us know. We also yeah. know that um, the stuff that was shot on film uh, had to be burned in order to be destroyed. So usually the film stuff was, I guess, survived because it was more convenient. It was less convenient to, to burn a bunch of, of shit. Yeah. So people would like take it out of the bins and stuff. Um <sighs> So that's good. Film <sighs> preservation. <laughs> Take it out the bin. <laughs> um, was this, this one? Did they have to chroma key restore this one, or was it all intact? I don't remember. It doesn't look chroma key to watch. Because, mm. like, Invasion of the Dinosaurs is chroma key. You can tell. Do I mean chroma key or the fire dot thing? Vidfire. That was the one. It's not on the TARDIS wiki page. This is revolting. I'll just cut this bit. I can't be asked. <laughs> That's fine. Shall we, shall we keep moving? Yes. This serial is the first time it's established that the Doctor has two hearts. Um, the shower scene happened because the house the BBC had rented to shoot in had a truly amazing old-fashioned shower in it that everyone decided was too good not to use. The scene was altered so it could happen while the Doctor was in the shower. However, it also created the added conundrum of revealing John Pertwee's tattoo from his days as a sailor. The the expanded universe would hand-wave this by saying it's the mark of a criminal placed on Time Lords who have disobeyed their people. 
Because of course they would. Due to budget restrictions, the crew were unable to film a scene of the autumn smashing through the shop windows. Derek Sherwin remarked in the DVD commentary that he desperately wanted to show the autumns breaking the glass, but the BBC would not allow it. Russell T. That's Davis good. ensured that this was rectified in Rose, and he was right to so do so. Fucking good. Iconic. So fucking good. Um, from the yeah, from the Doctor Who handbook, programs within the same genre often draw on the same stock settings, scenarios, and character types. And similar hospital scenes can also be found in the opening episodes of the nineteen uh, the nineteen sixty six plus seven BBC series Adam Adam Ant Lives. You the fucking cost- bet it can. <laughs> <laughs> the costume of whose central character was one of the main inspirations for the third, do- third Doctor's regular attire. Fucking yes, Adam Adam, it does live! There is, <laughs> like, in the first episode, there's this whole thing where he wakes up in the future, and then he has to deal with a bunch of people not believing that he's Adam Adam, because they've all heard of Adam Adam, the famous explorer from Edwardian times. And he's like, I'm Adam Adam, and they're like, no, you fucking aren't. <laughs> Strong language for the 60s BBC. It's not like he has BBC. two hearts so he can prove he's an alien. It's so... <laughs> I love... I need to watch more of Adam Adam and it's so fun. It's so fun. Sounds silly. Um, uh, go for it. The other thing I had about... Was about um, them wanting to bring Wendy Padbury back for a second series. Ah, uh, yes. And they wanted to bring Isabel back, but they decided to make a new character. Um, she was envisaged as being more mature and intelligent than most previous companions. Mm-hmm. So I think Keep this is an interesting... This is an interesting shot to go, um, we want to change the role of the companion so that um, they are more of an equal to the Doctor. But then you sort of run into the run into this sort of quote-unquote problem, which is that the Doctor then doesn't need to explain anything because they understand what's going on. So you end up instead having him explain things to Liz, who's like, yeah, I fucking know, Doctor. <laughs> I'm a scientist. Um, so you sort of... For I the guess that's part of, part of why the Briggs part of the relationship as well, though. Yeah, probably, and it's a good it's a good polycule. We established this. Mm-hmm. Um, also, there's a couple of story changes from the original uh, mm. draft. So, in episode one, he was originally kidnapped from bed and taken to a storeroom for interrogation and escaped through a window after fading unconsciousness. Um, the Autons were defeated by a high frequency sound, which Liz arranged to have transmitted from BBC Broadcasting House. I wish um, they'd done that one. I think poacher... that would have been really fun. <laughs> For a time, the poacher was accompanied by a son. I believe that high-frequency sound is part of how they defeat the aliens in Quatermass and the Pit, so they might have mm. gone, that's a bit too much nicking from Nigel Neal. Mm. <clears throat> also, um, Caroline John really wanted to read up on all the stuff she'd be talking about, and then she just discovered it was a bunch of gibberish that didn't mean mm. anything. And she was like, ugh! What a nerd. I love her. Yes. Also, um... Pertwee suggested that they have a high-collared black or white outfit in the style of Pandit Nehru, the first Prime Minister of India. Fair enough, Pertwee. Mm, okay. But Sherwin wanted something less stylized, so um, Pertwee half-seriously donned a velvet smoking jacket, a frilly shirt, and his grandfather's Inverness cape. And it worked. Um, and to Pertwee's surprise, it was agreed that this was a suitable look for the Doctor. This is from ShannonSullivan.com. I think it's like the Magical Mystery Tour or something, the name of the website, but okay. it's fucking good. Um... Well, I love his look. And then, I quite like yeah, it. It was created out of spite. Yeah. But yeah, Magical Mystery Tour always has loads of info about like the filming and stuff that we don't tend to get into. So if you want mm. more information on that. Apparently, um, they were asked... They did ask Douglas Camfield, who did um, The Time Meddler in The Invasion and a couple of other ones to do it. And he was like, nah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Moved on now. 
Have fun without me. Oh no, he wanted to take him over as producer, not to be the director. Uh, and Canfield was like, no, I don't want to be the producer. So we got Barry Letts, who directed The Enemy of the World instead. Enemy of the World is fun. It is. It, I, I've heard that many a time. Mildly racist. Uh, apparently Doctor Who was still preceded by Grandstand, which I finally found out the Grandstand theme tune like last week because it was on the Strictly BBC 100 <laughs> centenary episode. Yeah. Um, in which there was a baffling Doctor Who based tango to the theme tune yes to the theme tune but it was um, sort of a Doctor-ish outfit and then a weeping angel and I was like can't we at least have like a Doctor Dalek. companion <laughs> a, a fucking Dalek that would be fun that would be um, really fun I don't know. Anyway, like they did a Doctor Who thing before, like just after Jodie Whittaker got announced, Stacey Dooley did one where she was 13 and Kevin was a Cyberman. And then they had this thing where she was leading the tango for a bit. And that was fucking good. Um, this was not as effective. <laughs> I <Okay>. like Strictly. <laughs> I'm not watching it this year. I'm not ashamed. You shouldn't be. I like Taylor Swift and I'm not ashamed. Yes, apparently there was a 27-week gap between the end of season 6 and season 7. So in the interim, the time slot of the show was principally filled by a science fiction import from the United States by the name of um, Star Star Trek. Trek? Never heard of it. But yes, so that's my bit. There is always more behind-the-scenes stuff. But God, what a rich moment in Doctor Who history. (laughs) Genuinely love it. Yeah, there was a lot of concern about ratings and like, you know, that it had been declining. So they were like, are we going to cancel it? And they were like, no, we're going to give it one more season, but you need to fucking change it. And they were like, we're going to do it in colour and it's going to be on Earth. So it's cheaper and there's going to be explosions and guns. And you're going um, to love it. And people are going to love it. And they were right. <laughs> we'd all go, except Miss Shaw. Oh, just a minute. I'm not going to miss all No, Miss Shaw. Have you never heard of female emancipation? Liz, this time I think he's right. Let's so, uh, Robert Holmes. What the fuck is up with all this classism, babe? Like he's usually quite on it. He's usually got some fairly socialist messages. I but can't say that I agree ex- on the like. He's he may be socialist, but he is also classist. Yes, <laughs> the the, the um, duality of man. The duality of man. Every time there's someone vaguely duplicitous with an accent that is not RP, you're like, mm. this is this is fun. Like the the. <laughs> The, the the stock comedy character poacher and his stock nagging yeah. wife and I'm like I like Meg a lot but I'm doing it in contrast to what you're trying to get me to do I it's like just Meg like, much more than I like the poacher oh for real she's she's much more likable but like just in the sense that like they're creating these characters that you know like it's all very stock like English characters if that makes sense so he's just falling yeah. into like regurgitating these tropes rather than critiquing them which is hilarious for a guy who like 15 years later decided to make the two doctors re- mm. like tried to subvert a bunch of tropes and then accidentally regurgitated a bunch of potentially anti-Semitic shit. Mm, accidentally. Which we sort of didn't go into in our episode because I don't think we quite grokked it at the time. Mm. But in retrospect, Jesus Christ. When but, you say it like that, oh, yes. Um, but yeah, you know, we, mi- we, mi- we miss things. We are but two humans. Um, we are but two humans with, as we will very often own up to, our own limited experiences. Indeed. Anyway, so Robert Holmes has this stuff and you're like the assumptions that people make about these characters like the Brig, the Doctor and Liz all have these sort of RP accents. Liz's is particularly, it's so Mm. prim and that's fine. That's her. But it's also like it's so in contrast to like modern Doctor Who where we have more regional accents and stuff that are less... When you start starting with Rose Tyler as a statement. Mm. 
And obviously Rose is like a working class character. She has a working class life, but she's not like demonized for having a working class life. No. Um, she is a good person. Whereas in this one, you've got the porter who's Welsh and tries to sell and the doctor's existence to the papers and a snitch. Yeah. He's a fucking grass. Um, and then you've got Seely and you have um, the one working class unit soldier dies in a car accident. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's an NCO, so you know that's fun. Um, as you've said, it's a new it's a new decade. When are we gonna stop the regional accent signaling bad guy thing? Yeah, when are we gonna start having regional accents in our protagonists? Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I think probably not until Delta and the Bannerman. Let's be real. Yeah, seriously. Maybe maybe Terror of the Zygons because that's set in Scotland, isn't it? So there's probably some Scottish accents therein. Jamie. Ja- well, yeah, but <laughs> does Jamie count? Does Jamie count? Um, Are we counting I think Jamie? Jamie being Jamie's a recurring character. If we're just thinking about one-off characters, that's true. Yeah. Um. Now we must mention the fact that this serial rips the shit off of Nigel Neal's oeuvre. <laughs> Go on. This is this is your time to shine. Like this era of Doctor Who was like acknowledged as being inspired a lot by Nigel Knoll's Quatermass thing. Apparently, when they were thinking about cancelling Doctor Who, the BBC was thinking about bringing back Quatermass and doing more Quatermass stories instead. Yeah. Um, and they ended up not doing that. I kind of wish they'd done both because <laughs> love Quatermass. Um, this is a quote from Doctor Who Done to Death, which is a blog that I found. Um, the biggest exhibit produced for the prosecution. This is he's trying to find. This person is trying to find flaws in Spear from Space because it's one of their top ten Doctor Who stories ever. Which you know I respect that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the biggest exhibit produced for the prosecution is Spearhead's thieved plot in Nigel Neal's Quatermass Two, broadcast on the BBC in 1955. There's a shower of meteorites that turn out to be part of an alien invasion plan. Um, at the beginning, they're observed by a radar unit and one is found by a local country type. There's a factory run by the bad guys that the good guys investigate. There's a plot to control high-level government figures. An official that starts off helping is turned and then blocks the investigations, all of which will be stiflingly familiar to anyone who's ever watched Spearhead from Space. Mm-hmm. Like, these are, of course, plot points that they change. Like, it's not completely the same. But, also, but it's similar enough. It is, it's very similar. Um... And I think that I, mm, to one extent that's okay, to another extent, please, an original idea. Yeah, I mean, Doctor Who just loved to crib from other things. Like, as, as we remember from the Keys of Marinus episode, where someone <laughs> tried to sue them for that one episode, and the other guy was like, it's already ripping off Day of the Triffids, like, come on, my dudes. Which, speaking of, I started reading Day of the Triffids. Fucked up. Fucked up book. Yes, just a little bit. End of chapter one, a guy is like, my wife already killed herself and the kids, I'm going to go up and kill myself too. Enjoy. Ooh, I don't Feel like free that. To drink the rest of the beer. Yeah, everyone's gone blind, and he's like, "I guess we, I guess we're all gonna die now." I don't I, like this. One life's bit. not worth living. Yeah, it's not fun. I'm cont- contemplating DNFing it, but you know, I yeah. want to know about the Triffids. I want to know more about the Triffids. And so which day watch, is like, theirs? You got to be prepared. Yeah, for which day, day is theirs? Well, the Triffid day is the day that they blind everybody, so that they can go about and you know take over the world. Have we not all been there? So, Nigel Neal never wrote for Doctor Who, but they wanted him to write for Doctor Who so bad. I would have loved they this. That would have been really good. So bad. Um, we love. I love Nigel Neal. Um, I do think that he had no sense of humor and was kind of a curmudgeon. <laughs> so I don't know that his writing style would have suited Doctor Who, but it very much suits his own thing. Yes. Um, and I enjoy it very much. 
I do think that Doctor Who perhaps could have cribbed a little bit less, maybe changed it just a little bit more so that it's not quite so obvious. Like when you get to apparently Seeds of Doom is just like fully the Quatermass experiment in its denouement and you're like, someone's still Are we going to have to watch the Quatermass experiment? We can't. It's lost, I think we it? should. We can watch the first two episodes and we can watch the How a Horror remake, which stars an American who's a fucking asshole. Like, I don't know about the guy, but the, his, his version of Quatermass is such a boring shit who sucks. Mm. Um, but the first two episodes of Quatermass are really good. They have a twist that genuinely I wasn't expecting. I was like, okay. fuck yeah. Um, yeah. Quatermass how how regularly Quatermass comes up, probably ought to watch it. Yeah, I should probably watch Quatermass 2 after this, and then I can like record an addendum that's like, actually, it's not similar, or wow, this was really ripping it off. <laughs> but obviously the original doesn't have the Doctor in it, it has Bernard Quatermass, who's... Um, He's just he's just suffering all the time because his rocket group's constantly underfunded and he has to deal with fucking aliens. We all struggle. Indeed. What else? You have, have we this got? point. <laughs> the press stuff. We've discussed this the a bit already. Stuff. A little um, bit, but yeah, like <sighs> the implication like I want more of this. It's, in a way it's weird we don't see more of it. Like the press should be showing up more of these weird things. Yeah. It happens a bit more in New Who. Yeah, with the with the fucking But it does <laughs> raise questions of the general like what is the knowledge of the general public to all these things happening around them? There must be such like like what imagine like, a story from there? the perspective Imagine a story from the perspective of like the fucking press liaison of unit. <laughs> like Right. Oh, I would hate that. I, I know someone who used to be the press liaison for the Church of England. And oh that is a job God. I would not want. I've told you about the time we got a card from the Bishop of Exeter or something that had a really weirdly sexual poem. No. It you it was like a, an acrostic poem. The S was for slithering. But oh. it was talking about baby Jesus slithering from the womb. Oh, I hate it. Yeah. Anyway, in Universe Press, it's interesting. I want to know more. Because obviously Torchwood just retcons everyone, but Unit doesn't have mind wipe technology that we know of. Mm-hmm. Um, so they must just have a lot of media spin going on. Imagine Malcolm Tucker goes to work for UNIT instead of the Labour Party. <laughs> that would be... I'd watch that, actually. I think that'd be really funny. Mm. That That's what Torchwood should have been. Truly. Uh, last one I just uh, wanted to drop in quickly. Let's uh, do it. Fear I'm of starting modernity. to plan. Let's do it. Yeah, fear of modernity or progress and the autons brackets evil plastic and how that should be parlayed into a new who story about the evils of single-use plastic. The, the, your hmm. straw is going to kill you. <laughs> your, your plastic straw will kill you because it was made by the autos. The Nestian that... consciousness um, possesses the great Pacific garbage island and it turns it into a kaiju. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, want, I want that. I want more Pacific Rim content in my life. I think that that would be good. And I think that Doctor Who would do it. It's the exact kind of like base level environmentalist story that they would do. <laughs> We'll we'll see what happens. We'll see what RTD does. Like single use plastic is bad is the most simple <laughs> environmentalist message we can have at the moment. And yet it's very um, important. And yet it is very important. But yeah, I feel like this story is an interesting sort of. It it's a level of seventies, right? Because plastic was becoming much more like widespread use because it had gone from like bakelite to like actual you know like proper like you have like mm. fabrics with like polyester and like. Um, lots of different places that you use plastic so it becomes more of a like an anxiety about like well we're yeah. replacing everything with plastic what if the plastic is bad what if the plastic tries to shoot us with its handgun we've all um, struggled with that yeah we have all struggled with that 
me get this straight. A thing that looks like a police box standing in a junkyard, it can move anywhere in time and space? Yes. Quite so. But that's ridiculous. Right, so, Expanded Universe, we're going to talk quickly about Liz Shaw. Yes! Um, she, audio-wise, she was in Six Companion Chronicles. Sadly, Caroline John died um, a few years ago, so she's not, like, Caroline John is not making any new Liz Shaw content, but they have recast her um, for the audios, I believe. Um, so she's in Six Companion Chronicles, five audio short trips, three volumes of the Third Doctor Adventures, and four Diary of River Song audios. The Third Doctor Adventures are the ones with Tim Trelaw, your friend. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My buddy, my pal, mm-hmm. who I've never interacted with, but have podcasted yeah. with. Yes. Um, then we have, uh, book-wise, she's in three Virgin Missing Adventures, two Virgin New Adventures, three Past Doctor Adventures, and two Lethbridge Stewart Candy Jar books. <laughs> Oh god, the candy jar books. <laughs> our favourite... Uh, yes, um, favourite. Deep dive. <laughs> favourite deep dive. I still haven't read the two that I own. I They're like very would. near me right now. Um, she was in eight Doctor Who annual stories, one Doctor Who magazine short story, one Doctor Who yearbook short story, one Doctor Who poster magazine story. I'm determined mm. to get these fucking poster magazines. <clears throat> I love poster magazines. I have a poster magazine on my wall right now. It's my nice. um, Deep Space Nine Armand Vashia poster. Oh, lovely. Oh, perfect episode. It's such a fucking good poster. Um, three brief encounters, which is the Doctor Who magazine like shorts. Um, two decalogues and six short trips. She was in three TV comics, and obviously I love TV comic sort of theoretically, but it is so hard to access. It's not been digitised as far as I'm aware. Yeah. So I would like someone to digitise it, please. One Doctor Who magazine comic and two IDW comics. She was also in a phone game which came out this year called Lost in Time, and I tried huh. to download it, but it's iOS only. Well, me holding my iPhone right now. Lost yeah, in it Time. It is an idle game. I must be known that it is an idle game, but you do get to collect the doctors like i used to play doctor who legacy so much i played so much of that fucking game and i recently tried to read it, it and found a, uh, the new one's doctor who lost in time but i played a lot of doctor who legacy and i had like eight that's Charlie, not showing like, up when i'm searching it oh my god Ugh. it's got a colon Conspiracy. in it <laughs> I must know, we cannot misinform our listeners. It only came out in, like, July. Maybe it's already been taken down. That would be fun. Maybe it's only out in other countries. I don't know. I mean, Googling it doesn't get me much. What, Doctor Who Lost yeah. in Time phone game? That's what I googled. Huh. Am I living in an alternate universe to you? It shows up when I search Doctor Who Idol game. It's not very popular. Huh. Have you found it? I'm going. I'm. I'm on a really weird deep dive right now. <laughs> what? Can we save it? Yeah. So it's a, it's by a company who seem to just do like tie-in games for various franchises. Yeah, they did the Lower Decks one. I didn't know that. Well, I did because I just read it on there. It's not very fun. Oh. The Lower Decks one is not very fun. Um. Anyway, so Lisha is also like her main sort of spin-off thing is she's in this thing called Probe. Um, which is a spin-off series by BBV about Liz working for the Preternatural Research Bureau that she sets up for the Ministry of Defence that turns out to be like a pokey little office with her and Louise Jameson. Hmm. Um, and they ask her to set it up. And I assume it's attempting to cash in on the Doctor Who and X-Files fandom of the 90s, which I think is like, they're right to do that. Go for it. 
Um, and I will do a probe deep dive once I've actually like watched some of it. Apparently, it's like like fine. I don't know if it's good. I've never read like a review of it, but people who've seen it seem to be fairly positive on it. People write fan fiction about it, you know. Um, the main thing I know is that the more recent ones where they recast the main characters, um, they are lesbians. Oh, sweet. We love that. So Liz Shaw is married good. to Good. Canonically. I say that that's canon hmm. because I'm right. Um, and then I did actually read a short trip this episode. Can you fucking believe I'm it? Really I read proud a short of you. trip. Jen, I know you've had I a know, shitty week. It's unit very Christmas parties. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank you. It was a really badly formatted PDF as well. I still only owed one short trips book. Unit Christmas parties. Colon I love this. I've read this one. Yes, this is such a cute story. It is the first Christmas at Unit where they're all together. Um, Liz is left for the holiday and then she realises that because the Christmas party has been cancelled because Zabregniev's cousin's fucking venue like double booked and they had to get the deposit back. It's so it's such a funny like offhand <laughs> piece of dialogue with Benton. Um, so she comes back in to hand out the Christmas cards and the Brigadier and the Doctor are having an argument because the Doctor has been drawing five Wembley <laughs> Stadiums worth of power <laughs> for the TARDIS. Um, and that's too much money, obviously. Uh, so the doctor sort of storms off. Um, there's no party, all of this stuff. And um, Liz talks to the brigadier and they're like, yeah, we know that he's sad. Like, you know, he's going to be alone for Christmas. And Liz is like, well, I invited him back to mine. But he said no. And, you know, he just wants to wallow. Uh, but then there's this, like, fucking spaceship on a collision course with Earth. And the brigadier's, like, get gearing up to shoot out of the sky. And the doctor's like, no, give me a couple of hours. I can sort this out. So what he does is... He creates this vortex so that mm-hmm. they can go onto the ship. Uh, and he sets it up so as cute. a party venue. And they all have it's a party so on a spaceship. It's so good. Um, and Liz is like, oh, it's nice you did this for the Brigadier. And he's like, I didn't do it for the Brigadier. Although, obviously, in my heart, he's, he says mm-hmm. he didn't do it just for the Brigadier. Um, he did it so that he could show Liz like um, the so wonder good. of space. Uh, he says, uh, you're a woman of science, Liz, and I should have thought about how frustrated I must leave you at times. And I thought I should do something about that. And then there's is a description of them watching the sunrise behind the earth, and it's so beautiful. And then she holds hands with him, and he says, sunrise from orbit, he said. Only a handful of your species have ever witnessed this moment. The watch chimed inside his pocket. Twelve o'clock, he said, leaning in to kiss her on the Aww. cheek. Merry Christmas, Liz. It's so cute. It's so cute. It's so good. Thank you very much to Nick hmm. Wallace for my life. I really enjoyed this one. It was very sweet. It was a quick read. It had good characterization. Uh, Captain Butler was he in exists. it for like two seconds, which I enjoyed as a... Good. Yeah, I'm he glad exists. For him. Um, so I enjoyed that. Yeah, it was just really sweet. I loved the like Liz coming back to give her Christmas cards out and then the Brigadier gets her Christmas card out from a drawer. <laughs> it's cute. It's cute. I love the Christmas short trips. Um, and soft. Because, like, the family, the found family retool doesn't happen for a couple more serials, but I like that the stories try to sort of reverse engineer it because, in my heart, they, really are. they are a family. Um, yeah, so that's my nice. expanded Thank universe. Thank you. Thing. My universe feels expanded. Rankings. Rankings. My ex of the week is Uncomfortable Rankings. Moment of the Week, the pulsating anus. <laughs> I thought it was very funny, unfortunately. It, it was very, very funny. Like it was great cinema. to take pictures and send it to my friends. It was Cronenbergian. It was. <laughs> It was Cronenbergian, honestly. Uh, my ex of the week is going to be... What's it going to be? 
Um, it's going to be horrible, horrible scene of the week for the doll oh, manufacturer. I didn't like that. I did not like watching a, a baby doll head having hair. Distressing. Sewn I didn't like it. It was very distressing. Like, it was kind of fun watching it, like, the automation level, but I really hated watching them, like, pulling and just, these baby ugh. heads off of these moulds. I was like, this is bad. It was bad. genuinely disturbing. This is bad. Like, it's just, like, why would you do this? On the other hand... Uh, hey! Ooh, slowed down The best segment in podcasting history. Six degrees of Blake Seven. Um, I spent ages trying to research this through actors, and I couldn't find a single one degree. I was on to like the third or fourth degree I'm trying so to find fucking voice actors from the Plague Dogs who had been in Blake Seven, and I couldn't find anyone. And I ended up checking the director, and obviously he directed two episodes of Blake Seven. So Derek Martinus also directed two episodes of Blake Seven, The Keeper, and Trial. He also directed like fucking fifteen episodes nice. of Zed Cars, like. <laughs> This is the sixth Doctor Who serial that he directed. I think the last one he done was The Ice Warriors, so it was mostly yes. like an early Doctor Who director. I thought that this one was actually really well directed. I enjoyed it. Like I liked it some of the shots and the and setups. There was a lot of sort of camera cutting and stuff. <clears throat> Which is interesting because I've heard that like The Ice Warriors is quite slow for the direction. So I think it must partly be the script affords itself like lots of camera setups and stuff. But yeah, uh, here's some uh, trivia about The Keeper, which is uh, an episode Let's about like Viking, space space Vikings or something. Um, the story was not the original one that had been planned, which was to have been the first of a two-part story penned by Terry Nation, in which both Jenna and Vila would have been killed off. I would be cross about this because I like those two. Um, because of other commitments, Nation was not able mm. to deliver. <laughs> That's fucking yeah. history of Doctor Who, isn't it? Um, and so Alan Pryor was commissioned to write something original instead. Uh, next next trivia point. Sally Nivet's leather trousers <laughs> split while fi- filming the scene where Jenna is captured by the goths. Uh, parts of it were filmed in Bream in Lost- oh, nice. Gloucestershire. And then I have a 4 out of 10 star review from Bigfoot Murph-72304. Uh, shouty bearded men. Frankly, I found all the shouting and bad acting so awful, I skipped to the end. 3 out of mm. 5 found this helpful. <laughs> Um, not an episode I've seen apparently Avon's not in it very much so I'm not looking forward to it given that Avon is my (laughs) horrible bastard who I love Um, thank you that's six degrees of Blake 7 it's one degree I don't need to know how long you spent on that alright shall we um, out of five I would give this a solid four meteorite formations out of five Yes, I would give it. Um, I would give it four <laughs> metabolic key situations. I'm gonna rephrase that. <laughs> Please do. <laughs> um, I will. I couldn't think of a way to phrase it. I just love that the key is coded to the doctor. I think that's really funny. Um, I would give it four thunderballs out of five. Nice, nice. Where are we putting it on our rankings? That is a fantastic question. Also, I looked it up and Thunderball is a 1965 British spy film and the fourth in the James Bond series Mm. starring Sean Connery. Still... It's also (laughs) a lottery thing. Okay, I... Where where do you Uh... think for this one? Hang on. (laughs) It's still opening. My Google Drive is being Uh... very ornery today. 
well, it's yeah. going to be quite high, I would say. I really, I really fucking liked it. It was really good. <clears throat> I might put it um, below the That's exactly where my mouse was hovering. Yes, because I love Fury from the Deep, mm-hmm. but it is too long. And obviously, the film, the film is the best is piece of media that's ever been produced. Yes, but now we have the shoes next to each other. Shoes and shoes. Um, what, what, what? You know, <laughs> Doctor Who magazine ranking. I'm going to guess this was about twenty-three. Yes. Um, I did not read the novelization. I'm going to guess that this is at fifteen. Well, it's not at 15 because that's Dalek, and it's not at 23 because that's the Web of Fear. Let's look for Spearhead from Space. Spearhead from Space okay, is at 36. It should be higher. It's above the Daleks and below the Impossible Planet and below the Demons. The Demons, demons should have been right at the top. It is quite funny that, like, some of ours are sort of, you know, our top half usually is in the top half, but then we have, like, the Vengeance on Varos at number 12. Which the is Mutants at, at number 5, which is 182. Um, the film at number 7. Yeah. The- <laughs> Yeah, Battlefield. How? Number How? Three, Battlefield forty sixth. You know, Battlefield is so fucking good. As is the mutants, as we know. Uh God, unbelievable. <sighs> yeah, God, that's the fucking episode. We, we did a podcast for over two hours. I'm really it? proud of us. Oh it's... my God, my voice is intact even after uh... shouting at children all day. I don't shout at children all day. <laughs> I have a normal speaking voice. Um, all right, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Reversing Polarity. We hope you enjoyed it. Had fun. Please let us know by tweeting at us at Polaritypod, um, following us at polaritypod.tumblr.com, or telling your friends, families, loved ones, dogs, baristas, bus drivers about how much you love the show. It really helps us to get like the word <laughs> out there. Um, we make no money from doing this show. We just do it for love. Um, but maybe if enough people listen, we could one day get the Patreon and one day do more ridiculous things in the name of Doctor Who. Um, isn't that just everybody's dream? Yeah, honestly. Truly. Um, <laughs> Sorry, join us out. next week where we will be joined by a very special guest to talk about um, Planet of the Giants. Fuck yes. Yeah, this guy, you're real for me, sir. He's a scratch. I've seen him. He's a scratch. 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 He's a scratch